and we are on air for Fan for Racing, NASCAR Weekend Preview of Las Vegas. And uh, joining me here is our co-host, Jay Huseman. I'm bringing him into the queue now. So welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. I know we want to get right to it. Got a lot going on again this weekend out at Las Vegas. Absolutely. In fact, there's a race tonight. Uh, we'll be starting right about the same time that our Hot Topics uh, sound off will start at uh, the 10 o'clock half hour. So we're definitely looking forward to uh, providing a few updates throughout that half hour with regard to the race. Uh, we do know that Sam Mayer has taken the poll for that race that uh, is taking place later tonight at the Bullring at Las Vegas. Should be an exciting race. I know uh, fans are probably kind of trying to tune into it. We'll kind of keep updated here as we can as well throughout the show. Yes, indeed. Now, uh, I do want to give an overview during this first half hour. We are going to do our preview of the Arkham Menard Series West at the Las Vegas Bullring. We'll also give a few updates on the Arca Menard Series as well as the Arca Menard Series East. Now, Sam Mayer won that race in the Arca Menard Series East, their season opener at uh, New Smyrna Speedway. He looks like he might be on his way to winning the opener in the West as well. So we'll talk more about that during this first half hour. At the 9 o'clock half hour, we'll get into the uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series and that race that's taking place at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, at 9.20, we get into... Um, Talking about the um, Xfinity Series, we'll preview that race also at Las Vegas. And then at 9.40, it's the Cup Series at Las Vegas Preview. 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Andy Lasky will be joining us at that time, and we'll get into all the hot topics uh, leading up to the racing this weekend, uh, as well as providing the updates, as we mentioned earlier, for that uh, Arkham Menard Series West season opener. Speaking of that, Jay, um, they just finished the uh, qualifying session, as we mentioned. Uh, I just want to mention that uh, uh, you can follow along with the action at ArcaRacing.com. They have a race central for the Arca Menard Series West. Uh, if, if you look at the navigation bar at the top, you'll find that. And then just go to Race Central, and there's a live timing and scoring board there. And that's if you don't have the Track Pass Gold. If you have Track Pass Gold, you will be able to watch this race on live streaming uh, at Track Pass Gold uh, with your login. Now then, that uh, race will be televised, uh, delayed broadcast on NBC Sports Network this Tuesday, February the 25th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is a .375 mile paved oval at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. As we mentioned, it, it seems like uh, Sam Mayer is the guy to watch. Um, are you there? As you said, uh, Sam Mayer winning the East opener, and come out to Las Vegas with the West was fastest in practice, and as you mentioned, took the pole position. So definitely one you got to consider a top favorite. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, I think that uh, Sam Mayer, but you also have last year's winner on dirt, Haley Deegan. Uh, Is she in this race as well? I don't believe she is. I was looking. uh, uh, No, she is not. I know they got 17 drivers. The West Series got a whole kind of makeover, if you will, with some uh, teams moving on. And that's something to keep an eye on as well. I know Bill McAnally Racing has a whole new look to it. Uh, there's Jen uh, Skelsey. Uh, you've got Holly Holland, Gracie Trotter, who we've had on the show here, Jesse Love. Uh, those are all teammates at Bill McAnally Racing, a whole different lineup for Bill McAnally. They have a fifth teammate who is uh, Lawless Allen as well. It is, and again, for for some of us that aren't on the West Coast or not followed the West Series, if you haven't, uh, even that, some of those names are new to me uh, that I've only heard once or twice. Again, this is their year year and their opportunity to make their name. That is absolutely true. Uh, Now, uh, the the four drivers uh, from Bill McAnally, the first four that I mentioned there, all competed at the opener at New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Smyrna <laughs> Speedway, uh, but they all finished outside the top 10. So they're really looking forward to this season opener where uh, they can maybe rebound from those finishes. Yeah, uh, we talked about that as far as some uh, big names having some rough starts. Uh, we're going to see, again, their top team for a reason, though. They will recover uh, as we kick off the West, you might have that similar situation. Again, 19 drivers uh, on the entry list, uh, which is a big crowd for for the West Series. I know with Las Vegas and Phoenix, they normally draw a big crowd. So after that, maybe uh, we'll see a little bit more of the true championship contenders as we get into the rest of the separate West season. Yes. I'm also excited, though, Jay, about Bob Brumcotti's Sunrise Ford Racing Team Trevor Huddleston is returning for his third season with Bob Brunkati, and that in and of itself is a little unusual. Typically, he allows uh, the drivers to stay for two years, and then it's like their time to move on. Trevor Huddleston is going to be starting his third season at Sunrise Ford, but he's going to be joined by uh, somebody else, Blaine Perkins, uh, who swept the NASCAR late model titles at California's Irwindale Speedway and Kern County Raceway Park last year is joining that team. And I think they are going to be uh, top competitors this season as well. They definitely are. And, you know, with the changeover we just talked about at Bill McAnally uh, Racing, I'd say that that kind of gives the edge to Brincotti. But we know what kind of team McAnally puts on the track uh, even with young mm-hmm. new drivers. So I think it's still a toss-up between the two teams. Uh, I do, too. It, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, there's also a pair of new faces that are going to show up. Um, there's uh, Idaho's Zach Telford. He scored a pair of top tens in his two starts last year. He was just 15 years old at that time. And Joey Lest from Madera, California, who turned 17 last week. Now, Madera, California is where Cole Custer is from. So uh, that's going to be interesting uh, to to see what happens there. 
Uh, now, Telford also finished third in last year's NASCAR Weekly Racing Series Idaho standings, while Lest actually won the 5150 Junior Late Model Series Championship. And then we'll also see drivers like Todd Souza and Takuma Koga. They're also returning uh, to this series as well. And there you do see a couple of names that, that you mentioned that are returning. Um, it's kind of one of those of, a, again, their time to shine. Uh, but I think you, you got to look at those top two teams. Beyond that, though, I mean, we've seen Todd Souza have some great runs, uh, as well as Tuma, Takuma Koga. Uh, so I think they are going to be up there battling. We'll have to see how it plays out as these uh, races get into, again, the separate West series. Well, I'll tell you what, the big draw for this race is going to be uh, a NASCAR Cup Series driver who's going to be competing at the Bullring this week, uh, or tonight, I should say, and that's Kyle Busch. Uh, He's going to be in this race, and it's going to be a lot of fun for these drivers uh, because they learn a lot when a driver like Kyle Busch is out there on the track. So these guys are going to be taken to school, I'm sure, with Kyle Busch on the track. Uh, he is not in the ARCA race. He is actually in the super late models, which I don't remember if they run first or after the uh, ARCA Menards West series, series here. Okay. Oh, the Star Nursery 100, it says. Okay, because this is the Star Nursery 50, I guess. Is that, that what is, the that's correct. is? That's the super, the super late models is is just the 100, I believe. Okay, so but he's he's still going to be. It's a double header race at that there you go. Uh, event, and so you will see Kyle Busch in that uh, super late model uh, race, and then there'll be the, that's the Star Nursery 100, and then they'll race the Star Nursery 50. So I guess I was a little confused there, thinking it was the same race. Uh, but it's 50 laps difference, and the time is different. It, it, it is everything you mentioned, though, just being a part of the weekend there at the Bull Ring. Again, that's his hometown. And as you mentioned, drivers getting to compete with him, race around him, and possibly beat him. I mean, we've seen that in the past. That's how you get your name made. Exactly right. Uh, now, you mentioned that there are uh, 19 drivers on the entry list, actually 18 drivers on the entry list. One driver uh, is yet to be announced, uh, and I'm not sure if they were on the track at uh, Las Vegas for the qualifying or not, but that's the number 38 uh, for Sue McCarty. So we'll have to take a look at that a little bit later. I'm just looking here to see if we see any other names. I do see... Uh, uh, another female, Bridget Burgess, is going to be in the number 88 car tonight. Uh, she may be one to keep an eye on. Um, Travis Milburn has raced uh, in this series before. Uh, Bobby Hillis Jr. Uh, has been here before. Austin Reed is going to be uh, with Jerry Pitts Racing. Uh, he's in the number seven car. Bobby Hillis Jr. is in the zero uh, Trevor Huddleston in the familiar number six with Sunrise Ford. Um, Travis Milburn in the zero eight. Blaine Perkins will be in that number nine for Bruncati Racing, uh, Sunrise Ford. Uh, he has Jeff Schrader as his crew chief. Chris Loudon in the number 11 uh, with John Wood. 
Also, Lawless Allen will be in the number 12 car uh, for Bill McAnally. Todd Souza for their race team will be in the number 13. Gio Scalzi in the number 16 for Bill McAnally. Jesse Love in the 19. Sam Mayer in the familiar number 21 for GMS Racing. Holly Holland will be in the number 50. Joey Lust in the number 54. Takuma Koga in that 77 car. Jack Wood in the 78. We mentioned Bridget Burgess in the number 88. And Gracie Trotter takes over the 99 car at Bill McAnally Racing. And those are your 18 competitors. And that is a great list. I think you're going to see a great race out there uh, if you can keep track of it. (laughs) Yes, and I I really suggest going to ARCAracing.com. And you'll see the race center in the uh, top navigation bar. If you click on that drop-down button, you'll see the Arca Menard Series West, and that's where you'll see the live leaderboard uh, for that race. And, again, that race starts at 10 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, I'm sorry, it starts at 11 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, fans will have a lot to look forward to there. So I would head over to that race center at ARCAracing.com at that time. Now, you may need to register in order to see that. uh, But if you have an account there and you're signed in, you'll be able to see that live leaderboard. And just to give you a quick rundown, I know we mentioned Sam Mayer getting the pole. Uh, Gio Selzy second in that number 16 Toyota. A uh, string of Toyotas there, actually. Jesse Love in the 19, Gracie Trotter in the 99, and then in fifth place, one of those Brimcotti Fords in the number nine in the fifth position. So that is your top five uh, for the starting lineup for this race. Yeah, and if we go on down the list, you've got Trevor Huddleston in sixth, Jack Wood seven, Todd Souza eighth, Gio Skelzy, one of the rookies, uh, in ninth place, and Lawless Allen, who another guy we've had on the show here, in tenth place. There's several rookies in that top ten, Jay. And that's what, like I said, this series, the West series especially, really got a full makeover. And I can't wait to see how some of these drivers do. Uh, if you haven't had the chance to see them race before, or as they enter their second year or in a different ride and step up and really perform with uh, the other top teams that have been the dominant teams in the West Series. Absolutely. Now, we mentioned that um, uh, the Canon Pro Series East already had their season opener at New Smyrna Speedway, uh, just so fans can kind of mark their calendar and know what's coming up next. Um, Let's see. Okay, here it is. What's coming up next for the Arkham Menard Series East? Uh, after New Smyrna uh, and after this race, the next race for the East is going to be on March the 14th. That will be the Pensacola 200 presented by Inspectra Thermal Solutions, and that's at Five Flag Speedway, another popular Florida track. It is, and I know that they had the uh, main ARCA race last year with this uh, schedule uh, changeover with the combination of the East to West, the showdown races. They ended up with a East race, which I think is great for them. So uh, super excited about that. Five Flag Speedway there, Pensacola, Florida, a very awesome track uh, where the Snowball Derby takes place as well. 
Okay. The other thing that we should probably note is that uh, they also had the Arkham Menards Series race uh, on February 8th at Daytona International Speedway. Michael Pol- Michael Self took the pole as well as won that race. So uh, they already had their season opener. Their next race is going to be at Phoenix Raceway, which is kind of a big deal, Jay, when you think about it, because the Arkham Menard Series has always been a Midwest series. So for them to travel all the way out to Phoenix Raceway for an event is, uh, like I say, a pretty big deal. It's the General Tire 150 on March the 6th. So uh, definitely looking forward to seeing how that works out. That race, by the way, is one of 10 races that are combination events uh, where drivers from the East and the West can join in those races as part of the Sioux Chiefs Showdown. So that will be the first kind of the season opener, if you will, for the for the showdown races where uh, all of those series combine. And I think that one's going to be a major highlight, not just for the reasons you mentioned there, but I believe that overlaps with when the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series are out there as well. So you may see some of these drivers that go over to the ARCA Series, not just uh, move it from Cup or Xfinity around or there, the trucks, but we've seen that in the past of some of these drivers still go back to the Arkham Menard series. So uh, I think that entry list is going to be very intriguing. And as you said, race number one of that showdown. So you're going to see the East, the West, and the main Arkham Menard series all together. Yes, and, and that is a big deal for, for the reason. You brought up a real good reason there, the fact that they are, it's going to be a companion race with the NASCAR races that will be taking place also at Phoenix. So this puts them all on a national stage. And I don't think we've had a combination event on a national stage like that before. So that is new as well, that this Sioux Chief Showdown uh, opener is going to be on the national stage with the NASCAR races that are taking place at the same track. And I agree. I think we will see some other drivers uh, that might take advantage of that opportunity uh, to be in this event. So uh, it's it's new this year with the Arkham Menard Series uh, taking over the Canon Pro Series from last year and with NASCAR taking over the Arkham Menard Series. Um, this is all, I think, fantastic uh, for all of these series because I think it will give them a lot more attention than what they've gotten in the past. Most certainly. Uh, I think even with the combination of the Arkham Menards and the East and West series uh, was going to be to begin with, but on top of that, it being a combination event there where the Cup and Xfinity are, your team owners are, are watching, not just fans, but team owners um, getting a chance to – first-hand observe. So uh, I think it could be huge in the development of what we see, the development process of drivers as they move up through series. Yes, and uh, this is where you see a lot of these drivers uh, before they get into NASCAR's top three. And we've watched a lot of drivers come through the Arkham Menard series as well as the what was the Canon Pro Series and is now the Arca East and West Series. Uh, we've seen a lot of drivers come through those series and now be stars within NASCAR. And so uh, I think it's, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to really propel these uh, teams um, and their efforts uh, toward climbing that ladder, if you will, 
uh, on that national stage. Most certainly. And, again, we'll have to wait and see some of these drivers not real familiar with, but we're going to get to know them through the eight race, or uh, I'm sorry, I think <laughs> ten, ten race West ten. schedule, as well as the ten, ten race showdown races. Right, and then there's eight races, I believe, for the ARCA East and another ten races for the ARCA Menard Series. So there's really four championships on the line between all of those series, uh, between the ARCA East and West, the ARCA Menard Series, and then the Sioux Chief Showdown are all opportunities for those drivers to win a championship. So it's it's going to be really fun. I know we had this discussion throughout the year last year uh, and started prior prior to that with NASCAR buying the Arkham Menard series and the um, schedule that they laid out, the format for this. You know, there are a lot of questions. The more we talk about it and get to see it this year, yeah. I think the more excited I'm going to get. I think so, too. Uh, I know a lot of fans are probably in that, let me wait and see how this works, Uh kind of mode at this point uh, but I think they'll be pleasantly surprised as it starts to play out and uh, we're already seeing some fantastic results as far as um, the entry list count uh, we're getting more people involved from the driver standpoint and uh, I would love to see fans uh, take the time to be out there at the track uh, to watch these guys race because they will uh, put on a very very good show Oh, most certainly. They they always do. Um, again, it's a developmental level, and we've seen some of the drivers that are now at the top level. I know you've been a, a fan of Cole Custer for a long time, coming from the West Series, just to name one, and he is now a rookie at the cup level now. So you see where that stage goes. Yeah, we've watched Daniel Suarez. We've watched uh, uh, Christopher Bell. uh all of those guys, Tyler Reddick, they all came through these series uh, to get to where they are now racing in the Cup Series. And there's a bunch of other drivers uh, that are, are there, too. Ben Rhodes, uh, one of the champions in the Canon Pro Series East. Todd Gilliland uh, won the championship two years in a row at the Canon Pro Series West. Uh, those are all now part of the ARCA East and West. So there are several drivers that have come through this program and uh, uh, earned their opportunity to be in NASCAR's top three. So uh, definitely uh, fun to look for. Do you have a Do you have a pick for tonight, Jay? I'm, I'm giving you first chance. I think the pick might be a kind of obvious, but who, who's your pick to <laughs> yeah, win most, tonight? Most certainly, uh, if we're, if I'm going first, I'm going to go with one that's been first. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I mean, obviously, again, we talked about it. You got to give it to Sam Mayer. Um, but there are two that I would certainly watch outside of Sam Mayer, and that is the Brumcotti Fords, uh, Trevor Huddleston yeah. and Blaine Perkins that we talked about. But if I were to have to pick and put a bet down, it would have to be on Sam Mayer at this point. Okay, yeah, Sam Mayer seems to be on a roll. And, and you certainly cannot discount that. But there's some other drivers that I, I, I like that you pointed out, Trevor Huddleston and Blaine Perkins in the number six and the number nine at Brunkati. I think that they are going to be contenders. Uh, another one I'd like to point out, uh, drivers that are fairly familiar with some of these tracks, uh, Lawless Allen and the number 12 for Bill McAnally, uh, a driver to keep your eye on, I think, tonight. Todd Souza. 
uh, also uh, was kind of on a upswing, if you will, at the end of last season in this series. So I'm kind of anxious to see what he does this year. Uh, he's also part of the Toyota Group. Uh, I'm sorry, he's part of the uh, Central Coast Cabinets, uh, but he is racing a Toyota. Um, and uh, we mentioned Todd Souza and Gracie Trotter is the other one that I'm I'm really anxious to see what she does in that number 99 for Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, those are the drivers I think you'll want to keep an eye on. Um, I might mention Jesse Love as well as in that 19 car. Uh, I believe they finished uh, pretty well on the um, in the qualifying. Didn't, didn't Jesse come in at the top of the list? There? He came in second. Yes, he came in second in qualifying. Okay, so yeah, so he may be one to watch as well. And then somebody that I don't really know anything about, uh, but came in third, Joey Lust, uh, one another one of the rookies. In fact, there are three rookies all together in second, third, and fourth place, and that's Jesse Love, Joey Lust, and Gracie Trotter. Uh, I think those are, are certainly drivers to keep your eye on. Um, since you took uh, Sam Mayer, I think I am going to take for my pick. <laughs> I'll take Blaine Perkins. How about that from Brunkati? You know, that's uh, that would have been, I guess, my third one. I think Trevor Huddleston, kind of the leader of that team, as you mentioned, returning yeah. for the second team. But I'm really interested, especially with a lot of these West tracks, Blaine Perkins coming from the Super Late Model Series out there. Yeah, he won two championships, one at Kern and one at Irwindale in the uh, Late Model program for NASCAR's Wheel and All-American Series. So I think uh, Blaine is is certainly going to be looking to uh, have a good season this year in the ARCA West. Well, and uh, what I think you said that race starts at eight o'clock. I'm sorry, nine o'clock Eastern, eight Central. Is that, if I'm not mistaken? No, it starts at ten o'clock Central, eleven o'clock Eastern. Oh, they got two more. I want. They must be doing that super first or the uh, super late model one first, then. Yeah, I think so. Well, we got a little bit of time. Oh. Maybe we'll be able to recap that then as we uh, hit the top of the hour for hot topics. Exactly right. Now, I know that we've been uh, giving our fantasy picks uh, throughout the day here, and I think we got all caught up with that, didn't we, Jay? For the races this weekend? I do believe so, and I know you mentioned it the other night. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned it the other night that we have a new person. Yeah, okay. let me go ahead and 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 uh, mention that as well because we do have a new writer at PanForRacing dot com uh, put up two of his articles today, uh, and Stuart Owen, I'm sorry, Owen Stewart has uh, come to PanForRacing, and uh, he's going to be doing two weekly features. Jay, he's going to uh, do the winners and losers after each uh, Cup Series race, but he's also going to do a power ranking after each of the cup races so uh you can watch for those this week they're a little bit late the race was late 
I just talked to uh, Owen on on Wednesday night, and we posted his articles today. So this is all happening very quickly. But uh, next week, you can watch for that power ranking and the uh, winner and losers uh, feature to be put out on Fan for Racing earlier in the week. But he's in our fantasy game. He is, and I just want to say, I know I said it on the group message there, uh, read over the, the winners and losers especially. I, I love that article he did. Had a very great perspective on some things. Uh, the power rankings, you know, that one's a, a subjective thing. You can't really argue with, these, with what he has there. Um, there's a couple that I might have moved differently, but you see that throughout. Again, that's kind of a, a perspective thing too, but both great, really great articles. So check them out on Fan for Racing. Yes, I'm real excited about having that. Okay, let's hear what all of our picks are, because now we have, what, uh, six people on the line here, right? That's right. And with him joining, joining us, uh, one race behind in the, in the two series, but uh, four or five at Daytona, giving him a little bit of leeway. Normally we have to each pick a different driver. He's being allowed to pick any driver he wants as he joins us here to catch back up. So he came out in the truck series with Kyle Busch, which is also who I had as first pick. Uh, Sharon, you went with Matt Crafton, and he took Christian Eckes. Sam has Johnny Sauter, and I believe he had to go. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Sharon went last, had Matt Crafton last. Johnny Sauter went to uh, Sam, and James took the sentimental favorite coming off of last weekend, Jordan Anderson. Okay, in the Xfinity I think Series. Time. All right, in the Xfinity Series, uh, Sharon got to go first. She took the previous winner. Uh, Noah Gregston, and then I believe Harrison Burton went to Sam. Chase Briscoe went to Andy. And James and uh, Owen both took Justin Algar. And I went with Brandon Jones. I think that's going to be another defining race here as we kick off the bulk of the Xfinity Series season. And then real quick here before we move on, the Cup Series Again, top guy there was kind of Kevin Harvick. Owen took him as well as myself. However, Sam was first, took Martin Truex. James, again, took kind of a sentimental one there, taking Ross Chastain in that number six Roush Fenway Racing Ford for um, replacing Ryan Newman for sure for this week. And then Andy had Kyle Busch, and Sharon took Cole Custer. Yeah, I figure what the heck. He's out west. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt here and and uh, put him on the list. Okay, um, so with that, let's go ahead and move on to our Gander out uh, RV and Outdoor Truck Series uh, preview. That race is taking place tomorrow night. It is the uh, Strat 200 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, the time is eight. Uh, is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race show will be on FS1 at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And then, of course, radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're racing a distance of 201 miles, over 134 laps. Stage 1 and 2 are both 30 laps each. Uh, and then the final stage will end on the last lap, of course, lap 134. Last year's winner of this race was Kyle Busch, <laughs> one of the one of several. He went on a string. I think he did five in a row and won all of them. He was five for five in his truck series starts last year. 
uh, and it wouldn't be surprising to see him do it again, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So the Truck Series is going to be celebrating uh, a little bit of a birthday of sorts. All right. I am looking for the Truck Series here. I know where we're starting at there. Well, from the bottom, I think I skipped one. Let's go ahead and okay, go with go. Uh, Jordan Anderson as the underdog. All right. Talk a little bit about that. James picking him in the trucks. Uh, everyone loves that underdog story, the career best finish for Jordan Anderson. Now, he's no stranger to Daytona International Speedway uh, and no stranger to disappointing finishes and tough breaks. But on Friday night at the track, things played out a little bit differently. He drives his own hauler to the races, gets his own sponsors, and runs his own small team and made it through the wild night at Daytona unscathed and in the process captured a career best finish of second. The 28-year-old from South Carolina couldn't have been more ecstatic. He went door-to-door with Grant Infringer on that final lap of the NASCAR overtime and was just .010 seconds short. The margin of victory is the closest in series history at Daytona. He'll be making his seventh start here this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. His most recent finish there of 14th also marked a career best at the track. So he has got all kinds of momentum on his side right now. He does, and it would not surprise me if he doesn't improve on that uh, finish this weekend at Las Vegas. Uh, now, the Gan- I mentioned that the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series is having a birthday. Happy 600th. Uh, this Friday evening at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, uh, the Truck Series is going to be celebrating their 600th race dating back to its first season in 1995. Now, the first race took place on February 5th, 1995. That was at Phoenix Raceway, where Mike Skinner started 16th and then took home the winner's trophy. Now, since then, there's been 25 champions crowned in this series. Uh, Matt Crafton, Ron Hornaday Jr., Jack Sprague, Todd Bodine, they're all drivers that have multiple uh, championships to their name in the uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Now, Toyota has won 11 of the 25 championships, Chevrolet has nine, and Dodge has three of those uh, championships, Ford has two. Now, this Friday night, uh, fans will be able to see that 600th Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And I hope fans get out there to the track and and watch this race. Uh, It's going to be a huge celebration. I know I would if I could, but uh, I'm a little afraid to go to Vegas. I got a little bit of a gambling problem, so I'll stay here in uh, Mississippi. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll keep you away from Vegas. uh, (laughs) Also, uh, this weekend you're going to have all eyes on deck-er. That'd be Natalie Decker. She made, making, made some history at Daytona driving for Nice Motorsports. Uh, she was over the moon Friday night as well at Daytona International Speedway following her strong performance. The 22-year-old finished fifth in the Nextra Energy 250, marking the highest ever finish for a female competitor in series history, surpassing the previous record of sixth place also at Daytona in 2011, which was held by Jennifer Joe Cobb. The finish was Decker's first top five 
and first top ten and her best showing since last season's 13th place at said Las Vegas Motor Speedway that came during her rookie season. And Decker hadn't had the best of luck in the historic Daytona track in the past, crashing on the opening lap of last year's race, but this season she certainly redeemed herself. She started 20th last Friday in that number 44 Chevrolet with a strategy to ride in the back until the closing laps, and she executed her plan to perfection. With momentum already on her side from the historic run at Daytona, Decker heads now to Las Vegas Motor Speedway feeling even more confidence since the 1.5-mile speedway was home to her prior career best finish. In her two starts at Las Vegas, both in 2019, Decker finished 13th and then 25th due to electrical issues. So another one taking a lot of momentum. Uh, Look for big things for her from this season. Yes, I think this is going to be a breakthrough season, uh, perhaps for Natalie Decker. Now, uh, we had Grant Infinger, the winner of the race at Daytona for the Truck Series, on our show on Monday night, and he gave us a great interview. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it was an exciting finish uh, at Daytona, as you mentioned earlier, door-to-door with Jordan Anderson. Uh, so if you want to see action, three wide passes, emotions, and wrecks all at one time, that's exactly what fans got if they watch that race at Daytona. That race set the third highest green flag passes for the lead at 110. Uh, that's a stat at Daytona since the inception of the loop data uh, that started in 2007 and is only behind the 2006 stat of 129 Greek flag passes for the lead. And in 2008, that number was 103. So uh, that was huge for this truck series. Now, Graham Infinger ended up grabbing the checkered flag Friday night. That was his third career victory since the 2018 season. Uh, He battled until the very last second, literally, with a margin of victory of .010, making that the closest finished in series history at the historic track. Now, victory automatically puts Infinger into the 2020 playoffs, and that's what's so cool about that season opener is these guys know that they are in with their win. Uh, It's a sweet feeling for the driver of the number 98 for Thor Sport Racing, uh, who had to battle his way in last year based on points. So uh, big deal for any of those guys who won at Daytona. And he talked about that as far as getting that first win out of the way. Again, if you haven't heard that interview already from Monday night, or I'm sorry, Tuesday night it actually was, uh, I highly mm-hmm. recommend going back and listening to it. Uh, Grant Infinger, always a great interviewing guest. Yes, indeed. Let's talk now about Las we go Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. Again, the NASCAR Gander RV Outdoor Truck Series heads west from Daytona Beach, Florida to compete under the lights at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in Las Vegas, Nevada for the Strat 200 tomorrow night. Last year, uh, I believe Sharon mentioned it, Kyle Busch took home the victory at the first Las Vegas uh, Motor Speedway race weekend for the Truck Series, starting from the pole and leading a race-high 110 laps. Brett Moffitt finished in second, while Matt Crafton finished third, Stuart Friesen fourth, and Harrison Burton fifth. This weekend, 
Bush returns to the series and is set to pilot the number 51 Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota Tundra. This will be his fourth start in the series at Las, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. His first was in 2001 for Roush Fenway Racing, where he started third and finished ninth. In his last two truck series starts at Las Vegas, the 2018 and 19 spring truck races, Bush has started from the pole and won each event. Now, Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill won the most recent Gander Truck Series race there at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and that was in the fall, September 2019, in a career-best season for the driver of the number 16 Toyota. He will compete again this weekend in hopes of making it two in a row on the 1.5-mile track. No driver in series history has ever won back-to-back Gander Truck Series races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay, we've had drivers who have done back-to-back, but not at that particular track. So uh, that's an interesting distinction. Now, there's going to be several drivers that will have uh, be a part of the media uh, breakouts this weekend at Las Vegas, uh, and we go through those drivers as part of our parade laps, if you will. And I'm going to start at the top here, uh, Jay, uh, to make sure – uh, that we get the, the top drivers in here, and we'll work our way down every other one, okay? All right. Okay, we're going to start off with Grant Infinger in the number eight, 98 for Thorsport Racing Ford. Uh, birth date is January 22nd of 1985. That makes him 34 years of age. He hails from Kannapolis, North Carolina. We both know that he's actually from Mississippi, <laughs> right? He indeed is. Uh, I know that's his hometown listed now. Yeah, that's where he's li- that's where he's living now. But he he's actually a Mississippi guy. Uh, his hobbies include fishing, outdoor activities, and working on cars. And he is matched with crew chief Jeff Hensley, who is he he has worked with over the years. Now, in 2018, he captured his first NASCAR uh, Truck Series playoff berth. And at that time, he finished fifth in the final point standings, the best of his career thus far uh, in the truck series. In 2017, he finished 11th in the final standings. That was his rookie season in the truck series. In 2016, he claimed his first national series win at his home track, Talladega Super Speedway. Also in 2016, he posted his first national series pole position for the truck series that was at the season opener at Daytona. Now in 2010 he made his NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series debut at again his home track Talladega Super Speedway. Last year or this year he won the 2020 season opener at Daytona. He's the current truck series points leader by 11 points over second place driver Austin Hill. Now, taking a look at his uh, performance at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, he captured his second Truck Series victory at Las Vegas in 2018. He'll also be making his eighth career start at the track. He has an average start of 7.7 with an average finish of 11.1. 
He's led 47 laps at the track, and he's also posted two top five and four top tens. He's also completed 86.9% of the laps attempted at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And i got to tell you, Jay, I might be regretting not taking him uh, because I'm remembering now he had a lot of confidence about what he was going to do at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. You know, I was just thinking the same exact thing. <laughs> I might have to make a change. Well, well <laughs> but go until ahead. the top of the green, we got that capability. <laughs> uh, next one we're going to look at is Sheldon Creed in the number two GMS racing Chevrolet. Uh, age 22, born September 30th, 1997. Comes out of Alpine, California. His crew chief is Jeff Stankowitz on the GMS racing team. Now, 2019 was Creed's first full-time season in the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. We included two runner-up finishes that were back-to-back coming at Eldora in Michigan, obviously marking his career best as he has yet to get a victory. His 2020 season highlights, though, already finished ninth in the season opener at Daytona, currently ninth in the series standings, 23 points from the standings lead. When we look at Las Vegas Motor Speedway performance, this will be his third start at the track. In 2019, he made both of his starts, finished in the top 10 in both races. And that included a sixth-place finish uh, in the first race and a fourth place at the second one. So he upped it two positions each time. That could put him in second place for this weekend's event. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch him uh, this weekend. Sheldon Creed, I look for this to be a good year for him as well. Uh, He's got a lot of these tracks under his belt, so I think uh, that's good news for Sheldon Creed. Next up on our our parade laps, though, is Ty Majeski. He's driving the number 45 for Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. His birth date, August 18th of 1994, at age 25. He hails from Seymour, Wisconsin one of our Midwest guys here. Uh, His uh, crew chief this weekend is Phil Phil Gould. And uh, just looking at his uh, career highlights so far in the truck series, 2020 is actually the first full-time season in the Gander truck series for Ty Majeski. He made one start for Nice Motorsports last year, and that was at Phoenix Raceway. He started fifth, and he finished 11th. This year in the season opener at Daytona, he started 17th. Uh, He was involved in an early wreck that took him out of the race uh, as early as lap 15. Uh, He did finish last in that race as a result. Uh, So it wasn't a good outing for Ty Majeski. I know he's anxious to turn that around as quickly as possible. Now this weekend is Majeski's series track debut at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, so we'll see how he does. Uh, And hopefully uh, it'll work out a little bit better for him. Again, I don't think we've seen the highlights from this young man yet when it comes to the truck series. Obviously not the start you want um, at Daytona, but he will rebound. And the last one I think we're going to look at here in the truck series will be Raphael Lassard in the number four Kyle Busch Motorsports Toyota. He's 18 uh, years old, born July 5th, 2001. Hometown is St. Joseph, the abuse, 
Quebec, Canada, and I apologize if I'm not saying that right. Um, crew chief is Mike Hillman Jr. Again, for career highlights, it's his first full-time season in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series with Kyle Busch Motorsports. In 2019, he competed in three races for the team, as well as two other races for DGR Crossleaf, taking home two top ten finishes coming at Iowa and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Now, he had finished 20, 20th excuse me, 20th in the season opener at Daytona, currently 14th in the point standings, 29 points back from the lead. And Friday night's race will be Lassard Series track debut at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay, and it's not going to surprise me, but I think he's going to surprise a lot of other people uh, with what he's able to do in his rookie season. And I look for Raphael Lassard to have a a good uh, rookie season this year. Uh, And I definitely tag him as one of the drivers to watch this entire season. In that number four for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Again, Kyle Busch Motorsports always putting a strong team out there in this truck series. Without a doubt. Uh, Kyle Busch, I think, was disappointed that uh, he, uh, he, that, uh, that, car, that truck did not contend as strongly as he thought it should have last year. Uh, with Raphael Assard in that truck, I think he were going to see some amazing things. All right, Uh, we are now ready to get into the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The Boyd Gaming 300 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway will take place Saturday, February the 22nd at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage starts at 3.30 and will be on Fox Sports 1, as well as radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 300 miles over 200 laps. The first two stages are 45 laps each, with the final stage ending on lap 200. Last year's race winner, we've heard this name before, Kyle Busch. Hear it across to all the series as we go through this, especially <laughs> at Las Vegas, his hometown. There's a couple of milestones worth uh, noting this weekend in the Boyd Gaming 300 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. A couple milestones can be achieved. you got Ryan Sieg, number 39 RSS Racing Chevrolet, will have the opportunity to make his 200th consecutive NASCAR Xfinity Series start, second most among active drivers behind Jeremy Clements, who is at 229, and ninth all time. And you also have Ray Black Jr. He will attempt to make his 100th career NASCAR Xfinity start as he is ranked 140th on the all-time series start list. I was just looking at our chat feature. I apologize. Um, did you want to go over the next one? Because these are all, all right, small. Uh, okay. Nevada, uh, again, will be well-represented well in Sorry, Nevada will be represented this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as the NASCAR Xfinity Series points leader and junior motorsports driver Noah Gregston hails from Las Vegas, Nevada. The Sunoki Rookie of the Year candidate and Joe Gibbs racing driver Riley Herbst also calls Las Vegas home. So not only do we have uh, the Bush brothers who will be in the uh, trucks and uh, cup series, 
got a couple in the Xfinity series as well representing hometown. And if you want me to do the Timmy Hill, he's going to run mm-hmm. for Hattori Racing Enterprises number 61 at Vegas. And this one, again, highlight story coming out of Daytona. The career best finishes open do- opens doors. And just ask Timmy Hill, who recently ran the race of his career at Daytona International Speedway, finishing third. Now the driver from Port Tobacco, Maryland, has been tapped to pilot the number 61 Hattori Racing Enterprises Toyota this weekend at LVMS. Hill's made five starts there in the Xfinity Series, posting a best finish of 24th in 2011. And then the last one there. All right, hit that one too. I'll come to, I'm sorry. Uh, Daniel Hemmick is returning to the Xfinity Series as well for Junior Motorsports. The 2019 NASCAR Cup Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year, Daniel Hemmick, is returning to the Xfinity Series on a part-time basis this year with Series Powerhouse Junior Motorsports. This weekend's Boyd Gaming 300 will be his first start in the series since 2018. He's obviously really optimistic about it. Uh, looking to knock off the rust since it's been a while since he's been in the Xfinity Series. But he's made three starts at Las Vegas, posting one top ten finish. Well, I think uh, he is going to be certainly one to watch this season, uh, having the experience that he got in the Cup Series last year and now coming to the Xfinity Series. In the end, that may end up being a good thing for Daniel Hemrick. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I look for him to be one to watch this season. Okay, now Colleg Racing's Tale of Two Teams. Uh, they started the 2020 season with two full-time teams, and already through the first race of the season, they're on two vastly different championship paths. Now, running for the title in the Xfinity Series in his first full season with Colleg Racing is Florida native and third-generation watermelon farmer Ross Chastain, uh, affectionately known as the Melon Man. Now, unfortunately, Chastain did not get his 2020 season off to the start that he would have preferred. He ended up finishing 22nd. Uh, That, of course, is his worst finish at Daytona since 2016 when he also finished 22nd. Now, this rising star is 20th in the series point standings. He's 30 markers back in the standings lead with lots of work to do ahead of him. Now, uh, I know he was planning on running for the championship in this series as well. So he he definitely has uh, a little bit of an uproad, but he this is happening early in the season, so I think he'll recover. Now his teammate, on the other hand, Justin Haley from Winnemac, Indiana, another Midwesterner, returns for his second season with the organization, and he's looking to build on his playoff by making uh, performance of last year. Now, Haley won the Cup Series uh, Rain Shortened Coke Zero Sugar 2400 at Daytona last season, and he used that confidence to race his number 11, Colleg Racing Chevrolet, to a sixth-place finish in last Saturday's Xfinity Series season opener, giving Colleg Racing its best series points position. Now, before last Saturday, Colleg Racing had a best position in the Xfinity Series driver point standings. It was fourth, 
and that was after the 2018 season opener with driver Ryan Truex. But all that changed this last weekend when Justin Haley scored valuable points in both of the first two stages of the race and then finished sixth at Daytona. Now the 20-year-old sits in the organization's best second in the driver standings, a mere three points behind the standings lead. So that's all very exciting for college racing. Now this weekend, Haley's gearing up for Las Vegas with his crew chief, Alex Yance. He's looking to climb into the Xfinity Series driver's standings. Uh, He's made two starts at Las Vegas, and he has an average finish of 12.5. He posted his best finish at Las Vegas in this race last year, and that was a 10th place. As for Haley's teammate, Ross Chastain, Las Vegas comes at a perfect time. He's the former winner there. He won September of 2018, and he's looking to rebound very quickly in the points. The 27-year-old has made six starts at Las Vegas, where he posted one win, two top tens, and his average finish there is 14.2. So I look for good things from both of these drivers as the season continues to unfold. Most certainly. Uh, unfortunate hiccup there at Daytona, but we've seen the strength of that team, and they will rebound without a doubt. Now, we've heard the uh, slogan, names are made here in the Xfinity Series, and the youth movement in this series is strong in 2020. With the top five in points, the youngest contingent of drivers come out of the first race of the season in series history with an average of 21.6. Take a look at him real quick. Noah Gregson is 21, born in July of 1998. Justin Haley, age 20, born in April of 99. Harrison Burton, 19 years old, born in October of 2000. And then Brandon Jones, age 22, born in 97, February of 97. Brandon Brown, the oldest of the group, at age 26, born in September of 93. So, again, that gives you an average of 21.6. The previous youngest top five point in points following the first race of the season was 24.2, and that was in 2012. So we're really seeing that youth movement come to fruition here in the Xfinity Series and makes for some great racing. Yes, it will. And, and we're, I can't wait to find out who our top three are going to be in the Xfinity Series. Uh, but I've got a feeling it's going to be perhaps this next driver. He was one of the top three from last year, Justin Algauer. Uh, we're going to look at his loop data stats. Uh, and if you do, you're going to find out that uh, he's got some good stats at Las Vegas. Although he finished a disappointing 30th place at Daytona to start the season, uh, junior motorsports veteran Justin Algauer isn't faded by the team's slow start to the year. He's currently 13th in points, 24 back from the series points leader and his junior motorsports teammate, Noah Gregson. Now, Las Vegas is the next stop on the Xfinity schedule, and it is a particularly good one. For Al Gower. He's made 11 starts at that 1.5 mile facility in Nevada. He's posted five top fives and he has nine top tens there. If you look at the pre loop data, it says that Al Gower isn't just good, but he's one of the best in the field this weekend at Las Vegas. 
He leads all active drivers this weekend in the following Xfinity statistical categories at Las Vegas. His driver rating is 105.3, his running average 7.598, fastest laps run 70 laps, green flag passes 470, quality passes 424, and laps in the top 15, 2,000. And 87 laps. That's 93.9%. So, uh, Justin Algauer, we had uh, a couple of people pick him, James and uh, Owen, for this Xfinity Series race. So, uh, looks like they've uh, picked a uh, statistically uh, good choice. Most certainly. I was going to say the same thing. That would explain the double up on him for sure. Uh, one that also got picked again this week after jumping out to the Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year, had uh, that'd be Harrison Burton kicked off the 2020 season. Joe Gibbs Racing rookie candidate, putting up his career best finish, a second at Daytona, and took the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings lead already. He now has a 20-point edge over second place Jesse Little. Burton and the rest of the 2020 rookie class turned their attention to Las Vegas Motor Speedway for this Boyd Gaming 300. Take a quick look at the full points here as the ones they have listed. Harrison Burton at 38 points, Jesse Little at 18. 13 more backs, Riley Herbst, unfortunately, had a real rough outing, as well as Joe Graff Jr., uh, who only has one point at this point. Now, gaining experience will be key for the rookies this weekend. Riley Herbst is the only one of the four rookies with a prior start at the Las Vegas 1.5-mile speedway. Burton, Little, and Graff all making their series track debuts this weekend. Now, again, mention a Las Vegas native, the Joe Gibbs Racing driver Riley Herbst made his series track debut there last season, starting 15th, racing his way up to ninth-place finish. He started the season with the 32nd-place finish and is looking to bounce back at Vegas and close that 32-point gap on rookie standings leader and JGR teammate Harrison Burton. So not only are we battling each other, but, again, we got a battle amongst teammates, which always makes things just a little bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be. This whole rookie, uh, rookie class is going to be fun to watch. And, you know, we did this last year where it changed uh, throughout the entire season. Uh, from one week to the next. I think we'll see a lot of that again this season uh, in this Xfinity series for sure. Okay, Las Vegas, uh, another Las Vegas native is Noah Gregson. He locks up his playoff spot with his Xfinity series season opening victory. He's now atop the NASCAR Xfinity series standings, and he's locked into the playoffs for the first time in his career. That takes a lot of pressure off. Uh, Junior Motorsports' Noah Gregson comes swinging into his hometown of Las Vegas, Nevada for the Boyd Gaming 300 this Saturday. Uh, And following his first Xfinity Series career win at Daytona last weekend, the 21-year-old is looking to become just the fourth different driver to win the first two races of an Xfinity Series season. If he does that, he would join Dale Earnhardt, who did it in 1986 at Daytona and Rockingham. Chad Little, that's Jesse Little's dad, uh, did it in 1995 at Daytona and Rockingham. 
Tony Stewart in 2008 at Daytona in California, and Gregson has made two series starts at Las Vegas in which he has one top five. He finished third in this race last season, but he also has two top tens. His average finish, though, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway is a stout 4.5. That's a series best among the drivers that are entered this weekend. When we look at the Xfinity Series as a whole, and they hit the bright lights of Las Vegas, um, just north of all the casinos and the bright lights, sits one of the jewels in the desert, that Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and it's a 1.5-mile facility, and they're set to host uh, the entire top three series, the Xfinity Series for the Boyd Gaming 300, which will be on Saturday. They've hosted 25 Xfinity Series races, one per race season from 1970, 97 to 2017, and then two races per year since 2018. The Oval has 20 degrees of banking in its four turns and nine degrees of banking on the front and back stretch. This weekend's race will be 200 laps broken up into the three stages Sharon mentioned, 45 laps each of the first two, and the final stage of 110 laps. Now, those 25 Xfinity races have produced 17 different pole winners, and 18 different race winners. Five drivers are tied for the series lead in poles, two with two each, Kyle Busch, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, and Cole Custer. NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin leads the series with wins at Las Vegas with four, coming in 1999, 2005, 8, and 11. None of the former 17 pole winners are entered this weekend, which gives guaranteeing an 18th different pole winner on Saturday. However, two of the former race winners are entered. Joe Nemechek won the Xfinity race at Las Vegas in 2003. This weekend, he'll be piloting the Nemechek, uh, I'm sorry, he'll be piloting the number 47 Mike Harmon racing Chevrolet. And Ross Chastain is the other one, former active winner this weekend as he grabbed his first Xfinity Series career win at Las Vegas in 2018 while driving for Chip Ganassi Racing. This weekend, he'll be in that number 11 college racing machine, which we know is now desperate for a win for sure. Yes, indeed. Okay, now we do have some uh, parade lap drivers here. These are the drivers that will be part of the media Uh, interviews that will be taking place at Las Vegas this weekend, and we'll give you a little bit of background information on these drivers, starting with Daniel Hemrick in the number eight for Junior Motorsports Chevrolet. His birthday, January 27th of 1991. He comes from Kannapolis, North Carolina, and resides in Mooresville, North Carolina. His wife, uh, we all know his wife is Kenzie Rustin. Uh, she's one of those drivers who used to race in the Canon Pro Series, uh, and uh, they, uh, they are now married. Uh, his hobbies include golf and snowboarding. His career highlights include uh, winning the NASCAR Cup Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year last season. Uh, also, he earned a championship for birth, in both his full-time Xfinity Series season in 2017-18 to with Richard Childress Racing. Now, he's going to be making his season debut this weekend um, at Las Vegas, 
and uh, that's going to be interesting. He made his three starts, um, series starts at Las Vegas, posting one top ten finish, which was a sixth, and that was in 2018. His average start is 15.3. His average finish is 16.0. Now, the interesting stat about Daniel Hemrick is that he's never won a race in any of the series that he's raced in. And I think he's going to break that this season in the Xfinity Series. I think we will see him in victory lane. That certainly is a possibility there with that Junior Motorsports number 18. But to do it, going to have to go through the one we talked about earlier, his teammate, the number seven, Junior Motorsports Chevrolet of Justin Algar. He is now a veteran of this series, born in 1986 on June 6th, coming out of Riverton, Illinois. His wife is Ashley, now makes his home, their home, in Mooresville, North Carolina. Uh, his hobbies include RC cars, wakeboarding, and graphic design, and dirt track racing. Career highlights for Algar. In 2019, he made his fourth consecutive appearance in the Xfinity Series playoffs and third championship four in the four years of the format. In 2018, he won the regular season championship, and that was his third consecutive season in the playoffs after posting a career high five wins on the season. In 2016 and 17, he made that championship four, and in 2011, 16, and 17, scored career-best third-place finishes in the Xfinity Series standings. He won his first career race in the series in 2010, coming at Bristol in March, and he won the 2009 Xfinity Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year. His highlights for this year aren't so much highlights, but finished 30th in that season opener at Daytona is 13th in points, 24 markers back from the series standing lead, but we'll see that evaporate shortly. His performance at at Las Vegas, as we mentioned, 11 starts, posting five top fives and nine top ten finishes. Average start a 9.1, with the average finish of 8.5. Okay. Uh, We're going to go ahead now. We're at that uh, 9.40 time mark, so I'm going to go ahead and move into the NASCAR Cup Series at this point. They'll be racing the Pennzoil 400, presented by Jiffy Lube at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this Sunday, February the 23rd, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, uh, pre-race coverage will be on Fox at starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern with radio coverage on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're racing a distance of 400.5 miles over 267 laps. The first two stages will be 80 laps each, with the final stage ending on the last lap, lap 267. Last year's winner was not picked by our group, Jay. It was Joey Logano. I did happen to notice that, but uh, I think we got some really solid picks there. We'll have to see how this shakes out. Again, it's Vegas for a reason. Roll those dice. Uh, one, exactly. One driver, though, looking to roll some dice and looking for redemption. Unfortunately, not do a bad finish, but it did not start. Perhaps no one will be happier to see those bright lights of Las Vegas strip than the 2016 Xfinity Series champion, Daniel Suarez, was involved in an accident during the Daytona 500 blue-green vacation dual qualifying races and missed the big show. He and his number 96 Gaunt Brothers Racing Toyota will give it another shot this week in Las Vegas where he had some success in the past. 
His best finish in the Cup Series was in eighth place, came in 2018 when he was driving for Joe Gibbs Racing. He was 17th in the race last year and led 12 laps driving the number 41 Stuart Haas Racing Ford. Again, he was runner-up in the 2016 Xfinity Series race at the track and third place in 2017. So he's got some good finishes there, and they certainly need it as they will rebound this weekend. Yes, yes. I was so disappointed when Daniel Suarez did not make it in. Uh, He was having a good run but got caught up in an accident, and it ended his day. But uh, definitely look for more from Daniel Suarez this season. Uh, Now we're going to take a look at the Sunoki rookie class, uh, which is looking to rebound after Daytona. They're going to be going into more familiar territory at the 1.5-mile track of Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, It is one of the most decorated groups of young new drivers in many years in this series. But after last week's season opening Daytona 500, several of those first-year cup regulars are looking to right their road. Now, only two of the six drivers were running at the end of a very action-packed season opener with John Hunter Nemechek earning his best finish among them. He finished 11th. Brennan Poole was the next highest finishing rookie of 16th after starting 36th. So very good runs for both of those drivers. Christopher Bell, who scored 21st, was collected in a crash during overtime and the two-time defending Xfinity Series champion Tyler Ruddick was scored 28th after being involved in a multi-car accident on lap 199. Cole Custer finished 37th, Quinn Huff 39th. Uh, both of those drivers departed early as well. Of these six rookies, <laughs> let me repeat that, six rookies in the Cup Series, Ruddick drives the number eight for Richard Childress Racing in the Chevrolet, and he's the only one who has celebrated in Las Vegas' glitzy victory lane. He won the Xfinity Series race there last September, and uh, a 2016 Truck Series race was won there by Tyler Reddick. Now, Reddick insisted, however, that his positive experiences in those two series do not necessarily make a huge difference when it comes to his cup debut on Sunday. So we'll have to kind of wait and see how that plays out. Now, Cole Custer, who drives the number 41 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, is the only driver in this rookie class with a previous cup series start at Las Vegas. He started 30th and finished 25th in his very first race there last March. Uh, But I looked at for him to really do a lot better than that come this year. He is a West Coast driver, and uh, I think that uh, we're going to see good things from Cole Custer on this 1.5-mile track in Las Vegas. Well, I think we're going to see a lot from this phenomenal class of rookies. And you did have Cole Custer picked. The other one that got picked right out the gate by Sam was Truex, as he's trying for a trio of Vegas wins. Martin Truex Jr. is among those NASCAR Cup Series drivers, happy to move westward this weekend after suffering another DNF in the Daytona 500 on Monday, which was his second consecutive DNF in NASCAR's biggest race. He has only a pair of top fives and four top tens showings in 30 race starts at Daytona International Speedway. But the 2017 Cup champion has a markedly different record at Las Vegas Motor Speedway as he is one of only four drivers on the grid with multiple wins at the track. 
He won in 2017 en route to his first cup title and is the most recent winner as well, taking home the trophy in last year's September playoff opener, one of the series' best seven wins in 2019. He hasn't finished worse than eighth in the last five races at Las Vegas, including two victories and a third-place finish in the 2018 fall race. Truex has proven to be particularly adept at the 1.5-mile venue such as Vegas. Just going back three years, the driver of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota has a total of 10 wins, 22 top fives, and 29 top 10 finishes in 33 races on a 1.5-mile track. That's an impressive 87.8% top 10 showing on 1.5 miles uh, milers in that time frame. And that is absolutely outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, I, I couldn't pick Truex this week. Sam took him right out of the gate. Uh, so that's why a couple of my uh, picks were already taken before I, it got to me this week. So, We'll have to see what happens. Uh, I'm, I'm happy, though, with my Custer pick. We'll see what happens this week. Now, Happy Harvick is going to be headed to Vegas this week, and although Happy has been a long-time Kevin Harvick nickname, it is still very fitting for him this Sunday uh, in the Daytona 500 when he, after a busy day that included overcoming a damaged race car, he persevered to earn a fifth-place finish. Now, the driver of the number four for Stuart Haas Racing won at Las Vegas in March of 2018 and was the Bush Pole winner in this race last year. He finished fourth. He scored his second career runner-up showing at Las Vegas in the Cup Series playoff opener last September. Now, Harvick's 10 top 10 finishes at Las Vegas puts him in a five-driver tie for the most all-time. And his seven top five finishes are also the best, tying him with Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch. Ford has won four of the last six races at the 1.5-mile track. In just the last seven trips to Las Vegas, Harvick has two victories. They came in 2015 and 18. He has a runner-up finish that came in 2019. Um and I think that might be the second race at Las Vegas, and then a pole position in 2019 at the first race. So uh, definitely some good stats there for Kevin Harvick as well. Indeed, obviously, one, you can pick almost any race, and again, he was double-picked for us this weekend. (laughs) Another one that come into play are the Bush brothers, as they are the hometown Vegas heroes. The natives of Las Vegas, Kurt and Kyle Busch, are unquestionably the fan favorites this weekend. For the reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kyle, it's about adding to his winnings. He's already won a Cup Cup Series race, two in the Xfinity Series, and a pair in the RV and Outdoor Truck Series, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, at this track. Unfortunately for Kyle Busch, 34, he suffered another early exit from the Daytona 500, making the two-time cup champion 0 for 16 in the sport's biggest race. So he couldn't be more motivated to get back on track at his hometown track, where in 2009 he won from the pole position to become its youngest series winner. And then at that time he was 23 years, 9 months, and 27 days. He remains the only driver to win from the pole position 
at Las Vegas. Now, he's finished seventh or better in four of the last six cup races at LVMS, and including a third-place race in the last March. Twice he's finished runner-up in 2005 and 18, and his seven top ten, top five, sorry, his seven top five finishes are tied for tops amongst those on the grid this week. And we mentioned he's also entered in the late model race here tonight at the famed Bull Ring and will compete in the Gander RV Outdoor Truck Series race on Friday night as well. Now, for older brother Kurt, he's 41 and the 2004 NASCAR Cup Series champion. It's about finally finding a way to win at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway and go into victory lane. He does have a pair of pole positions coming in 2010 and 16, but his best finish in 20 starts is third place coming in 2005. He scored his only other top five in the race last year, finishing fifth after leading 23 laps in his Vegas debut for Chip Ganassi Racing. After leaving the Daytona 500 last week in the 19-car crash on lap 184, Kurt Busch comes to Vegas eager to turn his fortune around. Talking about luck, he needs it at Vegas. He didn't have it at Daytona, but he needs it at Vegas. Okay. Uh, again, I, I'm going down the list of our picks. None of us picked a Team Penske driver, uh, but they're going to be playing the odds this weekend at Vegas. And with Joey Logano being the uh, defending winner, he has plenty of reason to like his chances this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And uh, he'll be donating the Penzoil Hill Yellow, which is his sponsor. So his teammate, Brad Keselowski, uh, they, have, he and his teammate Brad Keselowski have won three of the last six races at the 1.5 mile track. I really have to change my pick. Logano, <laughs> Logano <laughs> is statistically speaking best in class at Las Vegas. The 2017 Cup champion boasts the best average starting position at 8.9 and the best average finishing position of 8.5 in the field. His average running position is also tops among the competition. Uh, Excuse me there, my phone's ringing. Among the competition, and that's at 9.162. Now, Logano has five top fives and nine top ten finishes. Only Kevin Harvick, who has ten top tens and seven top fives, has more. A very telling statistic, Logano has never suffered a DNF in 13 starts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. In 2080, the Cup Series champion had a difficult Daytona 500, where he started third and finished 26th after a late race accident. He'll be buoyed, no doubt, by the past performance of his Team Penske team, which shows up undoubtedly as a pre-race favorite. Keselowski, driver of the number two Team Penske Ford, has three victories at Las Vegas. That's second all-time to Jimmy Johnson's four wins. His seven top five finishes, Ty Harvick, and Kyle Busch for most all-time. He's also one of only five drivers to win from the front row. He earned the 2014 Winners' Trophy from second. 
Now, as with Logano, Keselowski was fast all day in Monday's Daytona season opener, only to be collected in a multi-car accident. His 30 laps out front was scored second, I'm sorry, only to race winner Denny Hamlin. But his day ended early when he was caught up in a 19-car accident with just 16 laps left in the regulation. Now, Vegas should give him reason to believe in redemption because he was runner-up to his teammate, Joey Logano, in this race just last year and answered that with a third-place finish in the fall playoff race. Keselowski has not finished worse than seventh in the last nine races, including three races, a runner-up, and a pair of third-place finishes during that time. Uh, now, he certainly feels capable of running with his veteran Binsky teammates, uh, and we're talking about 26-year-old Ryan Blaney, who finished the Daytona 500 in second place. Uh, that was the sport's biggest race uh, and his best finish in the last four years. He's coming off a career two. 2019 season when he scored a personal best 11 top 5 and 18 top 10 finishes. His win at at the Talladega playoff race marked the third consecutive season that he has celebrated in victory lane and his seventh place uh, in the Cup Series championship was an all-time high mark for him as well. Now, Las Vegas Motor Speedway has been a very productive venue for Blaney. He has had an impressive three top five and five top ten finishes in just seven starts there. So all three of those drivers were not picked by any of us uh, this weekend, and uh, I'm scratching my head right now. I was going to say, you're talking about changing picks. Uh, I think Blaney might be a sleeper, but another one that I none of us I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Another one that nobody picked, uh, playing with a full house in Vegas, and that's Denny Hamlin as he shows up to Sunday's Pennzoil 400 presented by Jiffy Lube, understandably liking his odds for a career's first career victory at the 1.5-mile track. Driver of the number 11, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, coming off a win in Monday's rain-delayed Daytona 500, making him the first back-to-back winner of the race since Sterling Marlin accomplished the feat in 1994 and 95. It's Hamlin's third Daytona 500 win in the last five years. Only one other driver has that won that many 500s in that short a time frame, and that's NASCAR Hall of Famer and the sport's winningest driver, Richard Petty, in 71, and then again back-to-back in 73 and 74. Hamlin led a race, a race best 79 laps and won in a photo finish, only 0.0, uh, 0.14 seconds ahead of teammate. Team Penske's Ryan Blaney, the second closest finish in the history of the great American race. On 16 starts at Vegas, Hamlin has earned only two top five finishes. The best of those, a third-place effort, came in in only his second Las Vegas start back in 2017. With the 39-year-old Virginian has seven top ten finishes, including a tenth-place showing in the spring race last year. Toyota has won two of the last six races, the only manufacturer other than Ford to win during that time. Both of those victories, the spring of 17 and the fall of 19, were by Hamlin's current Joe Gibbs Racing teammate, Martin Truex Jr. The last time the driver won the first two races of a season was 2009 
And that was when former JGR driver Matt Kenseth won the Daytona 500 and then followed that up out at Fontana, California. So, again, so a lot of history there uh, with Joe Gibbs Racing. So, there again, we might be looking at the wrong teams, although we do have Truex and Kyle <laughs> Busch, I guess. Yes, we do. Another driver that's on our list this week is uh, uh, a driver who is taking the, going to be piloting the number six Roush Fenway Racing Ford in Newman's absence, and that is Ross Chastain. Ross Fenway Racing has tabbed that popular NASCAR competitor, Ross Chastain, to drive the team's number six Ford Mustang, while full-time driver Ryan Newman would continues to recover from an accident on Monday on the last lap of the Daytona 500. Now, Newman very thankfully was released from Daytona Beach's Halifax Medical Center on Wednesday. Chastain is contending for the Xfinity Series Championship this year, driving the number 10 Chevrolet for Colic Racing. He is a three-time winner in the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, finishing runner-up in the 2019 championship. He also has a pair of Xfinity Series victories, his first coming at Las Vegas in the fall of 2018, driving for Chip Ganassi Racing. His second came just last summer at Daytona while driving a partial series schedule, also for Colleague Racing. 27 years old from Alba, Florida, this native has made 72 Cup Series starts with a best showing of 10th place in the 2019 Daytona 500. He's also raced in Monday's rain-delayed Daytona 500, but finished 25th in a car prepared by Chip Ganassi Racing for Spire Motorsports. In four previous cup starts at Vegas, Chastain's best finish is 20th coming into the 2018 fall race. But it is going to be interesting to see what he does in that number six for Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, I think Ross Chain could be a big sleeper in this event. He most certainly could be. I, I really had considered him. I, I was glad to see that James had the confidence to take him. Um, I think we are going to see some big things out of Chastain in that number six Roush Fenway racing forward. Yes, indeed. Uh, now then, do we have any parade lap guys here? Uh, I believe they are. there are a couple, but we have hit the top of the hour. I don't oh, know well, if Andy's here We're yet. at the top of the hour already, aren't we? All right, uh, having so much fun, I lost track of time there. <laughs> but we are at the nine, 10 o'clock time frame, which is means that it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with co-host Sandy Lasky, who should be joining us here momentarily. Uh, now, we have a lot to talk about in this category, uh, and I'm going to bring up the first topic. Uh, it's something we kind of talked about a little bit, uh, on uh, Messenger, but I don't think we brought it up on our Hot Topics on Monday. And that is, uh, you know, we had some drivers who are now using the strategy of racing in the back of the field uh, in order to save their car so that it will be uh, there in the end uh, to go for a victory at the, the super speedways and um, uh, that's something that has always bothered me a little bit because I feel like it short chains uh, short changes 
uh, the fans who paid really good money, especially at a track like Daytona, to watch their favorite driver race the race. So I'm really curious to know. I, I kind of know where Dan, Andy comes in here, um, but I'm curious to know where you stand on this, Jay, because uh, uh, we we had a little bit of a conversation on on uh, Messenger about it throughout the race. Uh, but in the end, the driver that I was upset with that did end up with a good finish, uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. So, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and and it's nothing new. I think it goes back as far as Dale Jarrett um, trying this strategy. And, it, you know, you have different drivers. Uh, Dale Earnhardt was one that I, I think would have absolutely abhorred that idea. You know, his his idea was be out front, run out front, and finish out front. So uh, there is different strategy to it. Um, whether or not it, it works out is, is the factor. Sometimes you can avoid the wreck. Sometimes you can't, and you're actually in worse shape rather than being out in front of it. So it's kind of a 50-50 deal. I understand the perspective from the fans, but what is the – I guess it depends on the, on the fan – but we think you want to see your driver win. If that's how they get to victory lane, then it's a good thing. I understand you're missing the side-by-side action, but I think there's still enough uh, excitement of the race itself to provide other racing, even though it may not be your driver at the time. But I kind of fall into the philosophy of to finish the race, first you must finish. So if that's what they feel they got to do to finish and they are, is their best opportunity at it, then so be it. I do like the fact that the stage points award those who are racing midway through the race and getting those stage points, and that will reflect when it comes time to running for the championship. So, again, it's a risk versus reward. Yeah, it's one race or four races if you want to count all the super speedways, and we've seen it go both ways. So it's tough to say. Okay, Andy, I think you get the gist of the hot topic that we just brought up. And I know we talked about it a little bit on Messenger, uh, but uh, let's go ahead and hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, this, this, is, this is kind of an important one because it, it's certainly very prevalent, you know, particularly during the super speedway races. Um, I'm of the belief that, you know, if, if a driver has to employ that strategy to win you know, the race, and in this case, the biggest race of the year, the Daytona 500, then so be it. You know, I know we've talked about the 100% rule in the past and how we're not necessarily a fan of it. I've said in the past that I'm not a fan of it. But that being said, um, you know, sometimes you have to employ different strategies to try to win these super speedway races to avoid the mayhem. There were drivers that finished in the top 10 in this race that had good finishes that, um, you know, that, that ultimately employed a play it safe strategy throughout most of the race. So, you know, sometimes you have to do what's best to, to get that best possible finish or contend for that win. And um, I'm not necessarily a fan of it, but I understand it. And, you know, if, if I'm rooting for my personal driver and he employs that strategy, but he wins the Daytona 500, it's all worth it. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I view it overall. Yeah, but I think there's, you know, 
if you look at uh, some of the teams out there, I forget which team it is. I think it might have been Team Penske. Yeah, I think it was Team Penske, where three out of uh, two out of the three drivers, uh, that strategy did not work. They they did not make it in the end, and only one of those drivers was out there. Now, also Quentin uh, posted a. Uh, uh, a thought here too in Messenger. He says, uh, "Isn't that what the segment racing was meant to fix?" And I think that is exactly what the segment racing was meant to fix. Is it gave it meant the drivers were uh, racing to be up front for those stage points uh, at the end of stage one, at the end of stage two, and the end of stage three. But what we saw at Daytona was some of those drivers. Uh, sacrificing some of those stage points in order to have their car at the end. But I don't think it worked out for a lot of drivers, even though it did work out for a few. So any follow-ups there? Well, yeah, the Daytona 500 is unique to every other race in the season. So while we may not necessarily see the strategy employed at the other super speedway races, um, you know, the, I, I think the mindset of a lot of teams and drivers was, we don't care about stage points. We don't care about anything. We care about winning the Daytona 500. So um, you, you sometimes see different strategies employed for this particular race versus other races. So I know that I know firsthand there were at least a couple, three teams that didn't care about stage points. They cared about being there at the end. So, um, like I said, I'm not necessarily a fan of it. I'd rather see you know everyone go out there and try to you know to try to win and, and be up front the whole time. But if 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 everybody employed that strategy, we'd wreck the field on lap 20. So, um, you know, thankfully, you know, some people um, were able to keep it together and we didn't see the mayhem till the end. So um, I don't know. I just think that the Daytona 500 is unique. It's the biggest race of the year. And I think that, um, you know, you have to look at it as risk versus reward. And, and certainly if you can hang around and be there at the end and have a chance at it, I'd, you know, if it's my driver, I'd rather they have a chance at it than be on the rollback on lap 20. Okay. Uh, Jay, isn't the point, though, that uh, it works only for a few people? It doesn't always work uh, for most of the people that try that strategy? I would say mostly it probably doesn't work, but we have seen it be successful. And, yeah, the stage racing did uh, try to curb it, if you will. Again, for those four particular races, some drivers choose to take that risk, being the risk of being involved in the big one, and they think that's how they can avoid it. But I look at it as it's no different than any other race, whether it be road course racing where you short pit or a fuel strategy race. That's a, that's the same thing. If you come in and aren't racing with the pack because you're on a separate fuel strategy or pitch strategy on a road course, you're not with that lead pack battling it out, that's what you're doing to win the race. So I, I don't see how fans can view it any differently than, say, again, the, the, the pitch strategy or running the, pit, the race backwards at a road course. Okay, well... I, I bet there are drivers who wish they had some of those stage points at this particular point of the game because they ended up finishing at the back of the pack uh, and, and uh, did not have that opportunity. A few did, but uh, most of them didn't. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the next uh, hot topic. Andy, what's your hot topic for tonight? And thank you for being <clears throat> our co-host. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always fun, you know. I'm glad that we're uh, a few shows deep at this point in the season. Um, I think I guess we we probably ought to talk about the fact that Ross Chastain will drive the six star this weekend at Vegas. Okay, Jay. Well, you know, and we talked about this on Monday night, and truthfully, I can honestly say I don't know that Chastain's name even got mentioned. What throws me for a loop is the fact that he is, drives a Chevy in the Cup Series as well as in the Xfinity Series. So that's kind of why he wasn't on my radar. Obviously, as a driver and somebody capable of stepping in there and doing a great job in filling in for Ryan Newman while he was out, which we don't know how long is going to be, I think he, a driver-wise is a great uh, pick and driver to do so. I'm a little confused by the fact that, again, it, it, it taking the Ford ride when he was already driving a Chevy in the Cup Series as well as in the Xfinity. So um, there were definitely some great choices to be made from um, that we talked about. So uh, it, it kind of surprised me and caught me off guard, to tell you the truth. Okay. Uh, Andy, I, I think Ross was uh, a good choice. It kind of caught me off guard, too, because I was thinking along the lines of Ford drivers uh, stepping into that spot. But um, I do think Ross Chastain is a veteran. They know that Ross is going to take care of the equipment. Uh, they know that Ross is going to be in that car uh, looking to go after a win. And they know that he has won at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And uh, I think that's probably why he was chosen uh, to step into that seat. As far as what he'll do this weekend, I do think there's a chance that he could win. I think he uh, is going to be sold short on that maybe. A lot of people may not think he'll be out there to win. But he's going to be in really good equipment with Roush Frenway, and I think there is a chance that he could win in that number six car and at least have a top five finish this weekend. What are your thoughts, Andy? It's a a, a really interesting choice. I would agree with the both of you that it was not something I don't think any of us thought would happen. Um, You know, I was definitely thinking along the lines of of a Ford development driver getting in there, you know, but ultimately I think Ross Chastain is a fantastic choice. He is a a veteran of the sport. It's interesting to call him a veteran at this point, but, but he is a veteran. He's been around for several years now. He has a lot of experience and, um, you know, I think that he is someone that can jump in that race car and, and get results, and I'm sure that that's what that team is looking for. And I'm not sure who had the final say and, and whose input was put where and whatnot, but um, ultimately I, I don't think anyone can argue that he's a bad choice. He is a, he's a great choice, you know, and I think that he'll do a great job in that car, um, however long this may be. So, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. I kind of look back you know, at this, this opportunity along the lines of when Jamie McMurray subbed for Sterling Marlin back in 2001 um, and won in his second career start at Charlotte. Um, you know, I don't necessarily know that we'll see those kind of results. See, I'm of, I'm not, I don't have the same mindset in the sense that I think he can win. I, I think he'll run well. I don't think he's capable of win. I don't think that team's capable of winning, honestly. I think that's a good team, but not a race-winning team. That's a fifth to tenth place team, in my opinion. So I think they'll run well. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I hope I'm proven wrong. That'd be awesome. Um, but we'll see what they can do this weekend. Um, you know, so, but, 
but but nonetheless, I think if if there's anybody that can get the most out of that race car and maybe help keep that team going in the right direction in the absence of Ryan Newman, it would have to be Ross Chastain. So great choice, and uh, certainly looking forward to seeing what they can do this weekend. Jay, any follow-ups? No, it's going to be interesting. Uh, again, we'll have to wait and see uh, how many races it is for, uh, whether how many races Newman is out first off, and then how many ra- races that Chastain is the fill-in driver. That's the only commitment that has been made is this Las Vegas race so far. Okay. And, and I would agree with that. Well, uh, I think that Ross Chastain is a driver that is known for getting the most out of the car that he's in. Um, and although that car has not been the best uh, over the last several years, I do see Roush Fenway Racing kind of turning a quarter corner. And I do think that Ryan Newman's played a little bit of a role uh, and taking kind of a lead as the driver at that organization right now. And having him along with uh, Chris Busher, I think, are really big for Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, so I think we're going to see better performance out of both of those cars uh, than what we've seen in a long, long time. So I wouldn't necessarily discount uh, those cars yet for the 2020 season. Uh, and I do think that Ross Chastain uh, is going to be another great addition because he's known for getting the most out of any car he drives. So uh, I can't wait to see what he does this weekend, weekend at Las Vegas. Any follow-up, Andy? No, I don't think so. I think that, you know, we just have to wait and see what he does, you know, in practice qualifying in the race. Um, like like I said, I think that, you know, Ross is arguably the, the one driver that's going to get the most out of that race car. So it'll be interesting to see. I, you know, to be honest with you, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think that there's a lot of unknowns um, in terms of who's going to be really good this weekend. This is the only the second race of the season. Um, you know, we don't know who's improved from last year. We really don't know where everybody stacks up yet. So, you know, for all we know, you know, Chastain's the guy to beat. <laughs> you know, you just never know. Um, you know, but there, there's, there's truthfully a lot of unknowns going into this weekend because we don't know, you know, who's, who's improved on their stuff from the end of last year or uh, who's, who's regressed. You know, uh, we just we just really don't know anything at this point. And, you know, I think that if we were six to ten races in and we knew where the six car was running with New, and, and let's make no mistake, Newman's a good driver. So if we knew where that team was at, you know, you know, running every week, I think we'd have a better idea where Ross would run with it. But we just don't know. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see um, this weekend. But, you know, I, I think that Ross will get the most out of that car. And, you know, I, I mean, make no mistake, Roush Fenway Racing is not a bad team by any means. And, you know, I, I would have to think that they've made some improvements like everyone, you know, presumably has since last year. So I don't know. Um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I would, I would be the same amount of surprise if he ran first versus 25th. Like it really wouldn't surprise me either way. So, um, I guess we just have to wait. Okay. Uh, here's here's kind of a, a piggyback to all of this. Uh, is there somebody else that you think should have been put in that car instead of Ross Chastain? Quentin is saying that he thinks Matt Kenseth should have gotten that call. 
Your thoughts, Jay? Uh, that was one I brought up the other night. I certainly think that Matt Kenseth was a viable option if he were willing and would have been in good fit. Um, again, you know, you got so many things to consider. Maybe he isn't available. You never know, or whether he was asked. The fact that, uh, again, I know he did some starts for the team back in 2000, it must have been 18. So maybe he wasn't willing, and we don't know if that was Chastain was the first call made or not. But I think they found a good fit. So uh, I kind of would have liked to have seen Kenseth in it. And, again, I heard Carl Edwards' name come up. I think everybody would have liked that, but um, not the decision that was made. Okay, Andy, uh, is there somebody else? Should Matt Kenseth or Carl Edwards have gotten the call instead of Ross Chastain? Well, I mean, I, I certainly see where you know the you know Matt Kenseth would have made sense. So, I mean, Matt was brought in to help guide that team in 2000. You're correct, Jay. It was 2018 when he was brought in to replace Trevor Bain for numerous races, and really was was kind of the driving force in helping that team uh, get better. And um, I don't think there's any doubt that that Matt Kenseth would be a great choice. Um, the only question mark is since he didn't run a race at all last year, how, uh, you know, how much rust would he have to knock off? Probably not much given how good he's been and, and you know, he's a, he's a champion. So um, obviously a fantastic choice, no doubt about it. Um, you just have to wonder if he was even on anyone's radar or, or whatnot. Um, as far as I know, and when what I've seen, he he's happily retired. But I mean, I, I you just have to you just have to wonder where he ranked on that list. But certainly, I think had Matt been chosen, he'd have been a fantastic choice. Okay, uh, Andy, or I'm sorry, Jay. I think we're ready to move on to your hot topic at this point. All right. Well, one that I said uh, was going to bring up, but I wanted to make sure Andy was available the other night as he had to leave early. Um, the truck series has now gone to 10 drivers being eligible in the championship versus eight. And I know we talked about that already. Picking up. Okay. So we have an opinion. Um, Grant Enfinger picking up the win saying he was locked in the truck series with only eight. We have seen it come close to where a win wouldn't even necessarily lock you in. So, I'm kind of in favor of it. I understand in the truck series there's not as many top teams that are winning week in and week out, but um, it's come close where, like I said, a win wasn't even going to lock you in because there were that many. I believe we had seven and there was only one open spot. So I do like the fact that this should guarantee that a win gets you in. Uh, It's still possible. We've seen it come 13 out of 14 in the cup series, but you're talking top level there. So for the trucks, I do kind of favor it. Uh, well, Andy, what's your opinion on it? <laughs> I think we heard his opinion already. <laughs> Go ahead, 100%, Andy. 100% ridiculous. Um, you know, I thought that the, the field of eight was good. I think when you look at, you know, the number of, of uh, competitive truck series teams, I thought that the number eight was, was fantastic because it really made, you know, probably 12 to 14 teams really, really race hard for those eight spots. I almost think that it's going to be a cakewalk for, for many of these teams to get into the playoffs this year. And I just, you know, it's just, it's, 
Ugh, it's ridiculous. I just don't think it should have happened. I think that the field was fantastic where it was at. I think that it forced, you know, teams to really race hard. It forced drama, um, you know, toward the end of the regular season going into the postseason. And there was absolutely no need to expand the field. It's kind of like the uh, the Jeff Gordon rule from a few years ago. You know, they kind of wrote him in and they kept expanding the field to 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 allow more teams in in the cup series i think 16 is excessive in the cup series i think 10 is excessive in the truck series you know the the playoffs is, are supposed to be the the elite teams racing for a championship and we we seem to be getting to the point where we're letting half the field in you know so it's i know i'm getting on a soapbox here but it, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous when you look at the number of, of truly competitive truck series teams that are capable of contending for a championship is going to be a cakewalk for those teams to get in this year. So it, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, Andy, I respect your opinion, but I have to respectfully disagree with you. Uh, and that's I the beauty think... of the show. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to I lean a little bit more toward Jay on this one. I do think that this is going to be a good move for the truck series. And it's not like we don't see exactly what you're talking about in the Cup series or the Xfinity series. A lot a lot of times we see drivers who get into the playoffs and they really don't have a chance of going much beyond the first round of the playoffs. And and uh I think in some cases uh, you could see drivers really picking up their pace with the whole idea that they made it to the playoffs. Uh, and I think last year, Grant Infinger, you could almost call this the Grant Infinger rule because last year him not making the playoffs was, I think, really, really bad. Um, it was a really, really bad thing. I think Grant Infinger should have made the playoffs last year because he missed it through no fault of his own. He was caught up in some accidents on the track, and it put him out of the running for the playoffs. So I do think uh, that uh, this is going to be a good thing for the truck series, especially uh, if it helps us keep a driver like Grant Infinger in the playoffs uh, to be able to contend for that championship. And I think it puts it more in line, actually, with what's happening in the other two series. So, um, and we've seen it where drivers get motivated. <laughs> you know, I think back to uh, Tony Stewart, who kept complaining about, uh, we have no business being in the playoffs. We, there you, we there really you go. Suck. <laughs> and then he made the playoffs and won five straight uh, and ended up winning the championship. So uh, I think it's going to be a good thing for the series. Uh, and uh, I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. So, Jay, we'll start with your follow-ups, and then, Andy, I really want to hear your follow-ups. <laughs> I, do, I do think Andy brought up a good point of uh, it does open up two, sport, two more spots. Again, if several teams are winning a majority of the races, there's going to be some spots that, that are, are going to be open that you don't have to work quite as hard for. Uh, and two spots in the truck series, you have to work hard for those two spots without a doubt. So um, that might take away a little bit there, but I think Sharon's answer to that answers that. Even if those two get in, unless you have a team that all of a sudden finds something, hits something, and goes on a winning streak, they're going to be the first ones eliminated, so it's not going to affect the championship. 
So that's where I think it is. You get a little bit more exposure, which, again, right now is a necessity. That's what sponsorship is all about is getting that exposure. When you hit the playoffs, those drivers become the story. You know, I I know NASCAR uh, America likes to do the – Non non playoff news and highlight one driver per week or or whatever of who wasn't in the playoffs because the rest of the field all really does become the rest of the story you know so I think that is part of it especially for that truck series getting that exposure and again I think ultimately championship wise it's not going to affect it because the the top teams are still going to be the top teams and that gives that opportunity for a team that does get in if they do happen to hit it right. Uh, have a Tony Stewart moment, then motivate his crew, fire his crew chief after the after the year, but finish out with a championship, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, let's hear it. Yeah, I'm. I got to stick by what I said originally. I just think that you know, if you have less spots available for the playoffs, you have to race harder throughout the regular season. Um, you know, I do acknowledge the fact that Grant Enfinger was the, the regular season champion and didn't make it far, but he didn't win last year. You got to win races. You got to, you, you have to win and you have to be up front consistently to, to get far into the playoffs. And if you can't do that, you, you really don't deserve to be, you know, in the last round or two to contend for a championship. So, you know, if you have less spots available, that, that makes you more motivated to go out there and win races and, and be the most competitive you can be and, and get up there and, and get those stage points, get those stage wins, win those races. If you could do all that, you're going to make it into the playoffs. One, two, you're going to make it far into the playoffs. If you're out there running fifth and 10th every week, you're not going to get that far. It's just that simple. So, you know, I think that less is more. And, you know, like I said, I, and this isn't specific to the truck series. When when they expanded the playoff field to 16 in the cup series, I thought that was pretty excessive too. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. NASCAR makes the rules. I don't. If it's the Jay Huseman Cup Series, I'll get to have a say, hopefully. Um, you know. You know, but um, I don't know. It's that's it, the beauty of this show. We we all have our opinions, and I I'm not a fan of it. And you know, maybe the, I don't know. I don't know how this year will play out. Maybe maybe I'll think differently. I don't know. But but right now, I I think expanding the playoff field was the wrong decision. Oh, okay, I do have a follow up to that, and and I'll get to that after my uh, 10:30 announcement here. Uh, for those fans that are new listening to us tonight. Uh, just a heads up that at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we do go off the air. However, uh, we continue recording the rest of our conversation, uh, and that is available on our podcast when we are done. So uh, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do when the podcast becomes available, just fast forward to the two-hour mark uh, to hear the rest of our conversation. For podcast listeners, uh, it's going to be pretty seamless. You'll be able to listen straight through, but we do like to give uh, listeners a heads up uh, at about this time of the night just so that you're not taken uh, by surprise uh, with us going off the air right at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time in the midst of our conversation. Okay, here is my follow-up with that because I feel as though we have 16 in the Cup Series, 12 drivers in the Xfinity Series. I'm wondering if you think that that's too many drivers uh, for the playoffs in those two series because to the point that uh, I think 
Jay brought up as well as myself, it seems like a lot of those drivers who make it in the last four spots in the Cup Series and perhaps even the Xfinity Series don't really get that far. So why are we putting them into the playoffs? Um, so, uh, Andy, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yes, yes, and yeah, so stick to my previous statement. I think that the <laughs> we have an excessive number of playoff cars in all three series. It's not specific to the truck series or the cup series or the Xfinity series. I think it's I think it's across the board and there's at least a handful of teams that make it into the playoffs every season that really don't have a chance at winning the championship. So um I just I just think that if you reduce the playoff field it makes every team race harder throughout the course of the entire season um, to try to get into those playoffs. It means that there's more meaning in making the playoffs. Um, and it means that those teams that are in the playoffs um, have a more of a legitimate chance at winning the championship. So less is more in, in my humble opinion. Okay. Jay, what are your thoughts? Cause Andy brings up an intriguing point there. I do I do understand that point, but if you look at any sport, and I don't know the exact numbers, but I know in hockey I think there's like 32 teams and 28 of them make the playoffs. Okay, that's excessive. Uh, half, I think, is, is what the NBA does. That, I think, is excessive. You're not even at the halfway mark in the Cup Series, and there are 16 teams that really could be winning. Like I said, we've come close to, I believe it was 13 or 14 of the 16 teams that made the Cup Series playoffs have race wins second off and i think this is where it comes down to it of those the way the first round is set up three races that they've broken it up you eliminate those ones that can't continue that performance or step up and get win and the points we have stage points and race winning throughout the season is an attempt to prevent ones that have been winning if they have a bad race or two i know we've seen that happen unfortunately but I think that also gives that buffer zone so that those top teams aren't immediately eliminated either. When it comes to the truck series, like I said, I think that's a matter of exposure. The one that I would say is maybe excessive is the Xfinity series. At this point, I don't think there are even eight teams, drivers, eight to 10 out of the 12 that are winning races. Last year, we saw one amongst the big, big three. Uh, I'd have to pull up the, a page to look at how many of them had race wins. So that series, I think it might be a little bit excessive. However, by allowing teams such as Ryan Sieg, uh, I'm trying to think who battled for those final spots last year, get into the playoffs, get that exposure, get some more sponsorship, and are now able to run better and be further up the ladder as far as top contending and being able to make a deep run, if not at the championship. So I think it's an evolution thing, but the one I would say is excessive, if any, would be the Xfinity Series. But I also have faith that the way it is set up, more teams are going to step in and be able to grow, such as we've seen GMS Racing had done, College Racing is now doing. So I think it gives that opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I'm just going to say this. It, I, I agree with your point Andy, I think that if they did that, that would be the case. The competition would get stiffer. That would mean that these drivers would really be knocking each other all over the racetrack. Um, but here's the thing. NASCAR is a business, 
And as a business, the more teams they can keep on the track, the better business is going to be. And the way they're going to keep those teams on the track is if they get the exposure that they need from the the sponsors and the people that are supporting them on the track, as well as uh, race fans. If your favorite driver gets eliminated, you're probably not going to come to the racetrack to watch that race uh, and 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 uh, be there for your driver. If your driver's in the playoffs, you're going to make that extra effort to get to the track to watch your driver in those playoffs. So more seats and more uh, more people in those seats means more money for the business. Same thing with the sponsors. You don't want to lose those sponsors because their drivers did not make it into the playoffs. Um, And actually, I think if NASCAR does shorten it, I think what's going to happen is the competition is already intense. It's going to get more intense, and we're going to see more wrecks, and we're going to it's going to be a pot shot at almost all the tracks, especially as you're winding down to the end toward the playoffs. I I really think that NASCAR, I think they're getting to a good balance with the 10, the 12, and the 16. My opinion is I think there's too many in the Cup Series. Uh, if there's any series where there's too many, I would like to see them reduce agree. that down a little bit Absolutely. there. But, Again, I just don't want uh I don't want this to become a wreck fest because of the intensity of getting into those playoffs. And I think that having the number where they're at, um, it won't eliminate it, obviously, but it's it will minimize it uh to some extent versus uh reducing that field and making it even harder to get into the playoffs. So um, I I think they're finding a good balance, actually, overall. So any follow-ups there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I I can't take credit for this, but an opinion I heard recently was that, you know, to your point, Sharon, the Cup Series playoff field is excessive because, generally speaking, those last four spots go to teams that – Real, quite frankly, don't even belong in the playoffs. They maybe won like a Talladega race or something like that. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they get eliminated very easily in the first round. And that's not, I don't know how good that is necessarily for the playoffs. If you have a team that makes it into the playoffs, yes, they get the exposure. Yes, it's good for sponsorship and their business. You know, and, and, and I agree, that's a good thing. Obviously, you know, a team that can sustain themselves with, with increased sponsorship and exposure and, and can remain in the sport is a good thing. Make no mistake, NASCAR is a business. A lot of these race teams are here for the point of, of, of a business and trying to make money, trying to make a living. That part I get. Don't make get me wrong. But a lot of those you know, but some of these teams that do make the playoffs, quite frankly, have no business in the playoffs and get eliminated very quickly. So you have to ask yourself how, you know, how how competitive and how good are these, are these are some of these teams that are even in the playoffs, you know? And so I don't know. I just think that I, I, I agree. Like you said, to your point, I do agree that the Cup Series field is excessive. And, you know, I think Xfinity being, what is it, 12 now? Is that what it is? I think that's what it's always mm-hmm. been, actually. That's that's probably a little bit – I mean, honestly, 10 would probably be fair. And, you know, for the truck series, I think 8 was, was perfect. So, um, 
I don't know. It's just it's just one of those deals where we, we seemingly keep increasing, increasing, increasing to the point where, you know, it's going to be, a, in the words of Kyle Petty, it's going to be a participation trophy for everybody, you know, at some point. Like, where, where, does, where do we draw the line? <laughs> well, I don't know. What are your thoughts about the intensity, Jay? Because I just think it's going to make it that much more intense, and we're going to end up with a wreck fest if we decrease the number. I, I do. That, that is a very high probability. Um, what I d- disagree with Andy there is of if these three to four teams make it into the playoffs and they're the first ones eliminated in the first round, you still have the excitement then of the eight or 10, 12, whatever it be, top teams battling for the championship. What does it hurt? I only say I see the benefit of it. Gave them exposure. Maybe they get some sponsors for next year and can improve on their program. So, I don't see where that hurts. If they're the first ones eliminated out of the playoffs, yeah, you know, and we know that. I mean, we look at last year. But there again, last year, that, and that's where I see it, we expected Ryan Newman, Ryan Blaney, Alex Bowman, and Clint Boyer, I believe, to be the four eliminated. They weren't. So that adds some intrigue then of can somebody make it happen in those final ten races to win the championship. So I, I view it as a good thing, I guess. Um, but as far as what Sharon's talking about, I think it could be a, a get a little uglier if those top teams are the ones battling for that final spot or two. So um, you, you never know. I mean, we know drivers and, and the championship is what it's all about. We've seen it in the past of even teams that aren't racing for a win but racing for that final playoff spot bump. And I think of Ryan Newman and Kyle Larson. But, again, each of those drivers said they did what they had to do uh, you know, it was understood, and the one said they'd do the same thing if they were in the other position. So it's already there. <laughs> yeah, I just see it getting more intense. Andy, uh, I'm ready to move on. How about you? <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, we can move on. It's fine. <laughs> okay. What's What's your next to- topic? Well, I think we need to. I want to. I want to go back to Ryan Newman. I think we we can't cover this enough. But obviously, um, you know, given what you know, he and and everyone went through. Well, mostly him, obviously. But Monday night to see him walk out of the hospital yesterday with his two daughters was just incredible. And uh, I think we need to, you know, touch on the fact that um, you know his recovery. I think has been far in exceedance of what any of us could have imagined, really. So, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Yes, indeed. Jay, your thoughts? It is, and it attests to, first of all, the safety of the cars. And I know we've talked about that. We've seen some other wrecks almost as horrific, maybe not as horrific, where drivers do immediately get out and are okay and don't even have to go to the hospital, just the trip to the infield care center. So first off, that stands to the safety that have been built into these cars. Hopefully, I know there's been some talk about driver as far as drivers being becoming um, complacent and knowing that they're that safe and can do whatever they want. I don't think that's that big a case, um, but it certainly is a concern. With uh, Ryan Newman himself, um, I know they haven't specifically listed or said what the injuries are, what the timetable to return is. The fact that he was released after two days walked out under his own power. I don't want to say the injuries weren't serious because the doctors did say they were serious but not life-threatening. But it almost makes me seem like it 
I didn't see any um, casts or anything. Uh, again, it was a short video and, and pictures, obviously, but and we want to respect whatever the Newman family and, and Roush Fenway Racing releases it pertains to that. But um, I'm thinking maybe it might be a very short timetable that he is out. Uh, like I said, I don't know that they've listed any of the specific injuries or a timetable for recovery, but I didn't see any casts or, you know, I know it got mentioned. It didn't appear he was limping, even though he was barefoot. I know that was a topic throughout the day, um, not having any shoes on. Um, so hopefully, again, it, it was maybe whatever it was has already passed. May, obviously not going to race this weekend, but may even be back in a week or two. Okay. I I think it's absolutely amazing. I I, I would, if you asked me on Monday night uh, when Ryan Newman was going to get out of the hospital, I would have never guessed it would be two days later on Wednesday afternoon um, after watching that accident. So I think that says a great deal about the safety equipment. And ironically, uh, I guess in 2009, after Ryan Newman had a similar incident at Daytona, it was either Daytona or Talladega, he called for an added bar to be put into the top roll, roll cage, uh, and they put could they call it the Ryan Newman bar, uh, and that bar is probably uh, what helped him to be able to walk away two days after an incident like that. <coughs> so, first of all, I have to say huge, huge kudos to NASCAR for all of the safety features that they have put into those cars Um, uh, because if it was pre-2001, I don't think Ryan Newman would have survived that accident. Uh, So I am very, very thankful that NASCAR has put those safety innovations into place. Um, That was about as bad as I've ever seen. So uh, with regard to to Newman himself and how soon he might be back, you know, sometimes uh, I get a little upset with people, and I've seen this happen where you have the handicap spot and somebody parks into there and they've got the handicap sticker and everything, and then they're walking in and somebody says, and I've seen people make comments, you don't look like you need to have that handicap parking spot. Um, There are a lot of ailments that people can have that aren't physically visible to people. That person might have a heart condition. Uh, That person uh, may have um, uh, breathing issues, and there are reasons for why they have that handicap sticker, and it's not up to us to judge them on whether or not they have it legitimately because we see them walking. Um, I, I think the same thing may be true with uh, Ryan Newman. His injuries may not be visible to us, uh, but it, and, and that's what makes it so hard to really make a guess as to how long it's going to be before he's able to to come back. I hope it is, like you say, Jay, I hope it is. You know, he misses maybe one or two races and then he's able to come back. But it could be a really bad concussion issue similar to what happened to uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, It could be any number of things, and I don't really want to 
speculate here. I use the concussion as just an example of what it could be that may not be visible to us. So I want Ryan Newman to take the time that he needs to be able to fully recover from whatever his injuries are. And, um, uh, again, I just want to give kudos to NASCAR for the safety innovations uh, that they've put in place that allows him uh, to be at home with his family at this stage point. So what are your follow-ups there, Andy? Or, Andy, let's hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I think that, you know, first off, it's it's miraculous that, that he's even able to do what he did, and that's walk out of the hospital and go home. And, you know, we've seen, you know, a couple, three pictures now with, with Martin Shreff Jr. And, and, and his daughters. It's just awesome. You know, it's great to see that. Um, it is. You know, I, 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 I hate to say that I'd be curious to know what his injuries were because, honestly, that's none of my business or anyone's business, really, um, you know, but obviously he, he suffered something. There's no doubt about that. And, um, you know, I think when you look at the severity of the crash, it's remarkable, in my opinion, that he's even in the position he's in where he can walk away a couple, three days later and, and go home and, you know, whether he even returns to a race car or not, the fact that he can go home and, and be with his two daughters and his family is really what matters most. So um, that, that, that's a big deal. And that's not something I expected. I mean, two nights ago, I think me and, you know, you and everyone else, you know, expected a lot worse. And, you know, for him to be able to do what he's done, I think is remarkable in itself, no matter what he does, you know, moving forward from here. So, um, he, you know, and that's just a testament to the, the increase in safety for, for race cars. Um, I would agree that, you know, 15, I think, he, I think even 15 years ago, that would have been a fatality. Um, you know, we, in, I haven't seen a wreck like that since I've been watching and it's been over 19 years now. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a freak accident. It's, it's a really bad wreck, but the fact that he, you know, is able to walk away from something like that ultimately two days later is a really big deal. So um, we'll just have to wait and see what, what happens, I guess. Um, to Jay's point, you know, I think there is a strong chance that we, we see him hopefully back sooner than later. And I think, you know, when he does return to the racetrack, that's going to be, a, a you know, an incredibly popular, popular moment uh, for the sport, you know, and for everyone, you know, that supports NASCAR. So, um we look forward to that day, obviously, but in the meantime, you know, hopefully that he, you know, he can rest and, and do what he needs to do to get himself healthy and, and, and get back hopefully sooner than later. And Jay, any follow-up? Yeah, I was kind of avoiding that topic, Sharon, because um, you hate to speculate, but with the extraction from the car, the lack of, uh, information for immediately from what happened as they got him out of the car and everything, that is a possibility. Like you said, that is something there that uh, cannot be physically seen um, or treated, if you will. So we'll just have to wait and see what does come out of it. And I'm sure that whatever it is, they're going to take the proper steps. We've seen that um, at all levels of NASCAR, specifically when you talk about Dale Jr. setting that standard of, you know, taking himself out of the car, saying, hey, something's not right with me. I got to get it so before I come back and didn't come back until he was ready and capable. Um, so um, we'll have to wait and see what does come out of it. I, like I said, I was trying to keep those um, negative thoughts out of there, but 
that is the possibility that it is something that, uh, head-related, injury-related. And I'm sure that there is some type of uh, protocol that obviously is going to go through not only with the doctors but NASCAR prior to reinstatement or returning yeah, to the track, being cleared medically cleared to return to the track. Right, and I will say, you know, from all appearances, he looks really great, um, and and I think that that's that's fantastic. I I really really hope it is a short recovery and that we will see him back at the track. But I don't want to see him back at the track until he is uh, healthy and and ready to go. So I'll just leave it at that. So Andy, any follow up on your end? Uh, no, no follow up, you know, but, but certainly very encouraged by what we've seen, you know, in the last day or so. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we learn more and, and hear from Ryan at some point soon. That'd be awesome. Okay. Jay, we've got a few minutes here. Uh, did you have one final quick hot topic we could get in? Um, let me see. Scanning down. I think I'll leave that one for a little bit further down the season. There was one, um, and I know we kind of talked about it on Messenger. I don't remember if we did as far as hot topics itself, but the late start, and we've seen this in a couple other races um, last year, the mm-hmm. later start on a rain delay, uh, what the exact reasoning behind that was, and I don't know if it was ever officially said, but uh, especially especially with the next race being a West Coast race, why they did a late start on Monday for the Daytona 500. And it wasn't like they put it into prime time. Um, you know, it was still kind of midday, uh, if you will. Um, well, it finished under prime time. But um, just what what your thoughts on that were and whether or not that was the best option, especially for those Andy. fans at the track. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was a big one. Andy, your thoughts? Uh, jeez. <laughs> um, I I was I was I was perplexed by the. I was honestly very perplexed by the 4 p.m. start time. I, I really have no idea why that took place. Um, you know, if if you're one of the fans that was, you know, staying over an extra day, you know, you'd hope that you could, you know, get the race going by like 11 o'clock in the morning. I mean, generally speaking. At least in the past, that's when we've seen rain delayed races start is eleven o'clock or noontime. You know, you, you get in there, you, you get it done, and you go home. You know, to get the fans moving about their way, but most importantly, uh, you get the teams headed back to Charlotte so they can swap out race cars and begin this West Coast swing um, heading out to Las Vegas. And I know that you know with the race ending as late as it did Monday, that it led to a very short turnaround time for all those teams. So. Um, I don't know if it was a TV thing or, or what the deal was, but I thought that 4 p.m., you know, some 24 hours later after the initial rain delay was excessive. Um, you know, and again, I know we, we saw that last year. I think it was Michigan. Um, I can't remember if it was um, the June or the August race. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. But nonetheless, we've seen this a couple times now in I just have to wonder why, because generally speaking, the earlier you get the thing over with, the better. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly a mystery. Well, I have about three thoughts that could cause the 4 p.m. start time. One has to do with if they're looking at the weather, uh, and I don't really know what the weather was saying about an earlier start time on Monday. 
in the Daytona area, but weather could be one factor that could have caused them to postpone it to 4 p.m. Eastern time. I just wish they would have considered the weather and the start time on Sunday versus on Monday. Uh, Secondly, uh, programming. Uh, Television programming could be another issue uh, that would prevent them from having an earlier start time. Uh, Although we preempted the timing uh, previously uh, to the morning starts. Another thought is viewership. Uh, I think when they were doing it at 11 o'clock or starting at an earlier start time, what was happening is a lot of people who were at work uh, were upset because, you know, although they could watch on Sunday, now they can't watch because they're at work on Monday. So setting the time at 4 p.m. on Monday allows drivers, not drivers, but uh, fans uh, to at least get home and get the end of the race uh, to see who wins the Daytona 500. Um, So, and and maybe it's the the TV broadcasters who feel like they will get more viewership if they do it later in the day versus earlier in the day. And maybe it's not a NASCAR decision, but a um, uh, provider decision uh, that really drives that. I'm not sure. Um, I wish that they would have looked at the weather more closely on Sunday because I think if they had started the race earlier on Sunday, we probably would have been able to get the whole race in on Sunday uh, for all the reasons that you bring up, Jay. They've got the West Coast swing, and it really put teams under a little more pressure uh, to do that turnaround between Daytona and Las Vegas. So uh, those are my thoughts. So any follow-ups there? Well, there there are, and, and they are unknown. Like you said, it could have been broadcast deal. I, I understand that as far as them looking for the viewership numbers um, at the track as far as weather that morning, which I don't know what was. I will say this, that watching it Monday, the stands did seem to be, I would say, 70 75% still packed, um, but it's the Daytona 500. Do you get that in any mm-hmm. other race? And from my perspective, especially with the struggles they've had and they're threatening tracks with certain attendance, to me, your at-track fans would be the ones at that point that you want to accommodate the most. Now, that's just my take on it, um, being that they are lacking it, drawing people to come to the races anymore versus being at home and watching on TV, that that would be their primary uh, concern and objective. However, I know a big chunk of the money comes from the TV broadcast if that's where that decision came from. So um, there's still some unknowns that, you know, like I said, there was never a reason for it officially given. It's all what we're speculating. But I think that some consideration should have been going, given more towards the at-track fans. And in this case, especially the, the way the schedule is, the, the race teams, which it affected race fans at Las Vegas because the haulers didn't make it in time for the hauler parade tonight, which is a big event there at the Las Vegas Strip. And they aren't going to have that now because the haulers weren't coming in until about 11 o'clock tonight. So it affected fans in Las Vegas too. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner, and I agree with Jay. We need to mark this one down. (laughs) So um, just I I apologize, but – Real, real quick, I, I 100% agree. I don't understand why we should penalize the fans that attended and paid for those tickets, and I don't understand why we penalize the race teams. So it just doesn't make sense. 
Yeah, I, I 100% agree as well. I, they had a sold-out house at Daytona Mark International Speedway. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, they they let those fans sit there all that time, seeing the the radar the way it was. I I remained hopeful, and the reason I was so hopeful that they were going to try to get that in is because of the uh, turnaround for the trip to Las Vegas. Uh, I thought they'd do everything in their power to get that race in, but uh, it just it just seemed like there were some decisions that, uh, looking at it from the outside, looking in, uh, you know, a lot of times we can say we would do things differently. Uh, there's obviously things on the inside <laughs> looking in uh, that we don't see, so I'm sure that there were some uh, some of that going on as well. But uh, certainly from the outside looking in, it seems like they should have had that race a lot earlier in the day. And I hope they consider that for next year because I like seeing the Daytona 500 on Sunday. And I'm worried about attendance for next year at the Daytona 500 uh, if they have a late start. If they if they do another late start next year, I'm afraid a lot of folks won't come. And, and that would be a shame after having such a sold-out performance this year. And, Sharon, that's why when it does become the Jay Huseman Cup Series, I believe the start time will be 12 o'clock noon, so mark that one down as well. <laughs> we'd, have been, we'd have been racing now. under the lights at 2 a.m. We'd have been racing under the lights at 2 a.m. You've, you've seen me. I'm, I'm at tracks until 2, 3, 4 in the morning. Sometimes I, know. I go to have breakfast, you know, so. No. <laughs> I just, yeah. Uh, you know, I that's I'm not that's not easy on fans either. Trust me, as the announcer, I know what the fans are saying because I'm out there with them. They'd be like, "Are we done yet? Are we done yet?" <laughs> yeah, I've been there at Daytona waiting out the the rain and and getting a really late start. I think we got home at like and and we, we when I say home, my son lived in Ormond Beach, which is a stone's throw away from Daytona. Uh, and we were getting home at like three o'clock in the morning, so I've been there where we've waited out the day for the rain to dissipate and be able to get a race in. Um, and uh, I'm just surprised that they didn't do that uh, on Sunday. But I, again, I understand. You know, there's probably some other factors there. We are at the top of the hour, and that means Sharon, that Sharon, it's time for us to say good night. Sure. Can I? I don't know if you can call it breaking news, but uh, Speed51.com just posted in his return to the bull ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Kyle Busch won Thursday night's Super Late Model 100 Open Comp race. <laughs> uh, okay. Christian McGee and Derek Thorne completed the podium. Oh wow, that's awesome! I know all three of those guys. That is so cool. Okay, and what's happening with the uh, uh, ARCA race, the East race? That one should then start up here following because that super late model was the first one. Remember, I think you said it was going to be right at 10 Eastern. Uh, 11 Eastern. I'm sorry, 11 Eastern, 10 Central. I'm in Central, that's right. (laughs) So that should be starting up right about now. There we go. Okay, so uh, fans, uh, if you've got the uh, sports gold on NBC, I would head on over there. 
to be able to watch this because it's going to be live streamed over there. Otherwise, you will be able to watch it next Tuesday on NBC Sports Network. Uh, let's do a quick roundtable and uh, hear from each of you. So, uh, Andy, let's start with you. Yeah, um, social media-wise, Alaski14 on uh, Twitter, and um, going to be working on another Hot Topics-related article this weekend to get it done um, Saturday night or Sunday. So looking forward to that, and uh, obviously looking forward to race weekend number two, Vegas. It's going to be awesome. Yes, indeed. Jay? All right, you can follow me on Facebook under my name of Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I did some uh, research and kind of laid out the article I plan on doing about the next big three, if you will, in the Xfinity series, who steps up next to make their name in that series. So that'll Chase be coming Briscoe. out here shortly. What's that? Chase Briscoe. What? He won't get a mention, know. Andy. He will get a mention there, Andy. Um, and hopefully within the next week or so, I'd say, stand by for some news on the Mid-South Big Ten Street Stock Series. Okay. Sounds good. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook and elsewhere. Uh, I am definitely looking forward to the racing this weekend. Uh, I'm very happy uh, with uh, bringing in a new team member for our Fan for Racing crew, and that, of course, is Owen Stewart. Uh, again, he put out two new articles uh, on Thursday. Uh, that includes uh, and will be weekly articles for fans to look forward to every week, the power ranking on the NASCAR Cup Series, as well as the winner and losers from the NASCAR Cup Series. So I can't wait to see what uh, he has to say after Las Vegas. And uh, I'm I'm real pleased uh, to see our fan for racing crew continuing to grow. I think we've got a great group here. So thank you, you guys, for all that you do. I really enjoyed the hot topics, Andy, that you did last week. I can't wait to see the next one. Yeah, me too. It's fun. Uh, it's fun that I can touch on some stuff that we don't necessarily uh, get a chance to talk about on the show. So, you know, certainly um, looking forward to doing some more of that this weekend and every single week. Okay. You, uh, you beat me to it there, Sharon. I was going to do that shout-out um, in welcoming uh, the new member to the Fan for Racing crew. Um, Owen, again, some great articles there. Andy's doing the uh, hot topics, recapping a written article. Uh, some great things happening here at Fan for Racing, and I just wanted to say welcome to Owen and joining our fantasy group, and I hope he finishes right behind me. <laughs> Which would be right behind me, right, I think? Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, wait a second, wait a second. I think I was on top there a, a couple on uh, one or two of those series last year. <laughs> Okay, guys, Uh, always a blast uh, chatting with you guys on Mondays and Thursdays. We will be back on Monday evening, and, uh, Jay, I think you're uh, uh, subbing again on Monday night uh, for Sal, who is still on his honeymoon, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you on Monday, and then we'll be back again on Thursday for the preview show on Thursday night. So thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or our podcast afterward. Uh, We hope you'll come back next week and join us again. Uh, Take care and enjoy your race weekend.
Good night, everybody. May the odds be with you in Vegas. Okay. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.